Hey everybody, just a quick uh, heads up, uh, major spoilers for uh, Dark Souls and uh, the series as a whole, uh, so if you do not want to be spoiled by Dark Souls, uh, maybe don't listen to the show. Uh, but otherwise, I had a really, really good conversation with uh, my cast today, uh, Trevor and uh, Dylan. Uh, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a fantastic episode. I really Hope you guys enjoy this episode, and um, we'll just get right into it. Welcome to New Nintendo Podcast XL, episode 10. I'm your host, Brandon Smith, and uh, tonight I have uh, two very, very special guests with me on the show. Uh, why don't you guys just go ahead and introduce yourselves? I'm um, Trevor Ickrath. I'm Dylan Flynn, and together we are... The Hallelujah Monkey. <laughs> Hell yeah. We always got to say that. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Like it's, uh, I'm so excited to be on the show, Brandon. I'm excited you're doing it again. I gotta say, I really when, yeah. When when Trevor sent me the little notification screenshot that like there's a new episode of New Nintendo Podcast XL, I was like, oh shit, very excited. Yeah, I really enjoyed that initial run of episodes you did with Joseph, and I really liked the Undertale episode. I've just been listening to the backlog ever since they went back up. So there's so much really funny stuff going on in those on those first couple episodes. Yeah, I definitely, um, I recommend people, if you haven't listened to, you know, the first seven episodes, to definitely go back and check those out. Those are definitely some of the favorite ones your, that I've your recorded Your deep dive so into the Sonic fandom. Yeah, yeah. I'm two-thirds of the, of the way back through. I'm like two-thirds of the way back through my second listen on that Sonic episode, and it's still, it's very good. It's very, very good. Of the of the original seven, that, that might be my favorite one that we've ever recorded. Um, and, uh, I, Trevor, I know that at one point you, you asked me that, you know, would we ever do the, uh, the Sonic, uh, comic Archie run? Yeah, because uh, I was obsessed with those as a kid. And I would like, I, after, after I listened to that Sonic episode again, I actually went and downloaded all the Knuckles comics. Yeah. Because I loved those. Those are my shit. That was like, that was like Twin Peaks for like a, a, a 12 year old. <laughs> That's how weird the lore was. And we're going to talk about plenty of weird lore today, but Knuckles... The Echidna Archie comics had it on lock. Dude, sure I, I I believe of the few Knuckles issues, like I back in 2015 pretty much just did a, a full on marathon of of those uh, of the original. I remember Sonic you comics. tweeting about that when it was happening. Yeah, it was quite an experience. Uh, I can't so, imagine reading those as an adult. It mu- they must be so weird. It is. It is very weird, and especially. Uh, there's a, a chunk uh, past, like, issue 50, probably all the way to, like, 150, where it gets – the art gets very weird and the writing gets very uh, not great. So it's like – Is that around go- the time when, like, uh, Sally gets assassinated and they blame Sally that's it, That's Sonic's to, like, brown girlfriend, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What, on, on, what kind of animal is Sally? What is she? She's um, a, I, I think she's a, a squirrel. Critter. 
Or something. Squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because her name's Sally. Yeah. <laughs> her name is uh, Sally Acorn. So I mean, um, how great yeah. would it be if if a bunch of sexy Sonic characters showed up on Riverdale? <laughs> they've they've done it. Uh, I'm pretty sure Archie has uh, a comic with Sonic. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that crossover. Archie has, has also crossed over with the Predator, so he could show up on Riverdale too. <laughs> and, and the Punisher. The Punisher's also been. Um, and a certain and, kind of Predator and, and probably has a lot of Archie comics. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Um, anyway, yeah. So, anyway. but we're not talking about Sonic today. Today, um, so when I came back with the podcast, Trevor immediately came to me and said, "Hey, when can we do an episode on Dark Souls?" And I was just like, let's just do this. Let's just go for it. So, um, yeah, today we're going to talk about Dark Souls uh, a little more, uh, the first game, and maybe just a little, little bits and pieces we'll of uh, the other stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch, touch on, on the other here stuff. Here we're mainly here to talk about Dark Souls 1 because, you know, this is a Nintendo-centric podcast, and Dark Souls mm-hmm. 1 has recently been ported for the first time to a Nintendo system, to the Switch. Which uh, I want I, them to bring I, the I other on recently. I, I convinced Dylan to play through it a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. That was his first experience with it, so I brought him along because I thought he'd be like a good little like guinea pig to look at. Yeah, yeah I'm a I'm, recent recent inductee. What about you, Bran? Are you like a big? Are you big into the Dark Souls thing? So I initially like when it was coming out for like PS3 and stuff. I had no idea it even existed, um, and so same. I missed out on ps3 as a console i just did not own one yeah and i i just completely missed out pretty much on the entire series until i knew that uh uh the dark souls remaster was coming to the switch i'm actually making my way uh through it right now uh i was at a certain point in the game where i just couldn't get past it and so i kind of put put it down and stepped away for a little while and was doing some other stuff but i've recently come back to it and Oh man, like I cannot speak highly enough of this game. It is so good and yet so frustrating at the same time. There were some um, places where I think I would have fallen off had I not had like one Trevor Ickrath sort of egging me on. And that um, falling off is actually almost like part of the game in a really weird, cool way that I want to talk about later. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um. So I'm sure. just going to go through uh, just some quick kind of uh, facts, some housekeeping about the game itself. Uh, sure, before you do, I... just because you mentioned it, I also always forget about the PS3, and and it also always takes me a second to like accept the fact that that was the same gen as the 360. Like mm-hmm. everyone I knew had a 360. Yeah, and then I think it, a couple well, people the... got a PS3 like very late in the in the console cycle, and it's just well, so no games weird, ever dude. came out for it. Did that? Did no, were, were there ever the last any of games us for the PS3? The Last of Us and Uncharted. Never heard of those. Yeah, and that was, like, such a weird time. I distinctly remember people saying, like, PS3 has no games. I remember that being the constant joke, and it was just, like... That was like, the meme. Yeah. But, you know, as art imitates life, sometimes life imitates memes. PS3 never really got any games. Yeah, it's true. exactly. It's true. Um, but, it, but it had Dark Souls. And, it did. It did. Um, it, it also had the, the predecessor to Dark Souls. Uh, it's spiritual predecessor, or at least... Demon Souls, which yeah. is what, a, the, what an awkward title, isn't it? Yeah, isn't Demon, it Demon Souls. Yep, Demon as in souls, souls that belong to Demon. Mm-hmm. Awful. I haven't played that, but there are some people who will still tell you that's the best installment in the franchise. Really? In, yep. uh, over over Dark Souls, they would say over that, Dark Souls. That, okay, so yep. um, ba- yeah, like uh, 
Dark Souls comes from the Soul series as a whole, and like Trevor was saying, the the predecessor game, Demon Souls, was the first in the series. They uh, wanted was... to make a Demon Souls too, but they couldn't mm-hmm. get like the rights to it or something. It's confusing. Yeah, and then um, so it's developed by From Software, and it was published by uh, Bandai Namco. And basically, all but uh, Dark Souls two have been uh, directed by uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki. Miyazaki, um, the guy. He's one of those video game directors that people absolutely worship like um who's the guy from metal Gear? kojima like Hideo kojima. he's, he's yeah. almost at Ko- not quite at kojima's level but like if he's there in is the something, same he's in the same category of like auteur game designers if there is something in a dark souls game that like people like they will attribute it to miyazaki and if there mm-hmm. is something about say like dark soul like a lot of people didn't like dark souls too and they will credit that solely the fact that Miyazaki wasn't behind it but I, I don't right, think that's right. really fair because I feel like a lot of good stuff gets put in the games from people besides Miyazaki although he is obviously a big mm-hmm. directive force behind it yeah it he takes a village of, it does take yeah. a village mm-hmm. yeah but I, before I we even touch on sort of the overall story and the lore and stuff uh, I wanted to talk a little bit I want to ask you guys what was your uh initial uh, I guess first impressions when you like were like, okay, I'm gonna check this game out and just kind of see what it what it's about. I guess what were your sort of uh, thoughts and uh, you know just on Dark Souls and like how you viewed it as a game. Like I guess who wants coming... to go first there? Well, Dylan, we already talked about about years a little bit. You got into it because I was recommending it to you so much. I'm a pretty and I and I by then by then by the time I decided to try Dark Souls, its cultural repu- reputation and it's kind of existence as a shorthand for games journalism and also as a meme uh like preceded it so there was i wasn't super shocked about what i was encountering mm-hmm. and plus it it really wrought a whole subgenre of souls like games and i mm-hmm. played a few of those mostly like 2d ones and so mm-hmm. I knew enough. I knew that the role happened, that there were bonfires. Like, I had a basic idea of what I was getting myself into, more or I'll less. I'll talk a little bit about my background with it, though. My first uh, experience with the Souls franchise actually was uh, Dark Souls 3. So I didn't really get onto the franchise until, like, kind of towards the end. Because mm-hmm. the third one is, like, supposed to be the last one. Um, and I got into it because I was looking for some kind of, like, dark fantasy RPG thing to like get into i just wanted that itch scratched and i like had heard a lot of good things about the dark souls franchise and that was the most recent one um it took me a little bit to get into i thought it was like i didn't know anything about the game except that it had the reputation for being like hard uh so it took me a little while to get into but once i finally kind of got off the on-ramp and like had become acclimated to it and realized how the game worked and stuff i found myself really really enjoying it and like the games have become some of my very, very favorites now. And like, I I didn't own a PS3, like I said, so I didn't really have any kind of way to play Dark Souls 1, the original, until yeah. the port came out for PS4 and then soon after for Switch. I got both of them just so I could play it whenever. But did you I have played... did you have a Trevor Aircraft? Did you have somebody telling you, oh, you gotta do, you gotta play? Blah, no, blah, I didn't have no, but I found like a really good Let's Play series online uh, by this dude named Marcus, whose username is like Epic Name Bro or something. And I also um, listened to a really good Dark Souls podcast called uh, Bonfireside Chat, and those kind of walked me through the game and held my hand as I got more into it and showed me the stuff that you like kind of need to hear from 
other players to be able there's to so that. much missable stuff yeah yeah it's it's really crazy how little the game tells you what to do yeah i feel like i um constantly like have to have a guide up uh for the game itself just to like make sure i don't miss any kind of you know just off the beaten path type stuff and um i know for me you know much much like dylan i sort of came into the uh game kind of you know knowing the that it was known for its difficulty and like knowing that you know it it inspired a bunch of you know like dylan said uh souls like games like and uh specifically one that i want to touch on a little bit later is, is hollow knight was a game that i played beforehand oh I've heard yeah good things about fuck that. yeah i beat um, hollow knight last year i'm a big fan of it yeah it's it's an incredible game not one to be missed but it, it definitely takes a lot of uh stuff from from dark souls um so i was like you know what i played hollow knight i beat it you know i think i'm ready to play this game and i didn't i didn't know anything about the story i was just like okay i just know that's hard let me try it out uh and then i just kept getting my ass kicked over and over um and then you know once once trevor kind of uh talked to me about doing this episode um i got back into it and uh i feel like the fact that now I have this uh, Trevor as a resource to kind of just uh, I uh, I hope I'm not bothering too much Trevor, but I, I keep texting him, being like, "All right, no, what I love I do? it. Oh my god, I love hearing people's progress through this game, and I love yeah." Trevor was my Sherpa as well. I, I every I step avoided, of the way I was talking to Dylan about it. I I avoided online guides because I kind of didn't want to find everything, and I knew that Trevor would sort of tell me about the important things, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and, I tried to walk you through it without being too spoilery, but still like just spoilering enough, and you ended up like stumbling upon a few things by yourself, which was I imagine, I imagine was pretty cool. It was a very fun thing, yeah. I was yeah. I was pretty obsessive about hitting walls with my sword. So <laughs> I, I found some things. You gotta be. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I yeah, I, I, I definitely did find a few things. I was very diligent about swinging my sword at walls and that sort of thing. And that actually reminds me of, like, one of the... The original NES Legend of Zelda was a lot like that, where th- there's a lot of missable things and, like... I think it takes is, a lot of cues from like older RPGs and exploration games and stuff like that. And that's why, you know, talking about the the kind of auteur game maker angle, it would seem like the overriding innovation of Dark Souls was just to kind of reject the sort of tutorializing and streamlining and sort of not not even necessarily handholding, but sort of you know guiding focus conventions that games have kind of settled into since those original 8 and 16-bit days, really 8-bit days more than anything, and, like, oh, yeah. to kind of remind us collectively that that obtuse, difficult games can be fun with all of the, the bells and whistles technologically that the current generation provides, which I think is, like, really cool, really smart. Go back to basics and build forward in your own way, and you end up with something that, like, everybody starts imitating and they you know like the impact is so huge like the 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 current crop of modern warfare games are more punishing now in a way because of dark souls because it's just become this incredibly influential sea change you know 
But I think the I think the like degree of challenge and how hard it is is really kind of like a smoke screen that you need to see through. Like mm-hmm. I think there are three big pillars that kind of hold up the game and like the difficulty is built into all three of those, but it doesn't really manage to become its own kind of pillar, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And the, yeah. the three pillars I see that make Dark Souls great are like the gameplay, the level design in the areas, and its approach to storytelling. Okay. All yeah, of which I would agree kind of with all offer their own difficulties, mm-hmm. but like I don't know, the difficulty isn't really a big part of Dark Souls for me anymore. And I think a lot of people will tell you that once they kind of spend enough time with the game. It just See, it makes some very flattering assumptions about you and how mm-hmm. much you're, how much focus you're willing to give it, how much independence you're going to have. It makes some very you know some very generous assumptions about what you're going to do as a player, and you might come into it with the attention span that the last 30 years of gaming have have conditioned you to have and you might find that to be very fruitless for sure yeah oh yeah um i know for me just like i i like i said i was stuck on this one part uh that's kind of pretty early in the in the game you know uh i was just trying to beat uh, Havel the Rock, and then beat those uh, the rooftop uh, gargoyles. He's, I think Havel the Rock is kind of ridiculous because, like, if I could talk about him for a second, he's like yeah. um, one big thing in Dark Souls is that like um, the more equipment you put on, the heavier you are, right? And yes. the heavier you get, the slower your character's roll is going to be, his dodge roll, and dodge rolling is a really integral part of the game. So you're going to want to keep it at a speed where you can actually, you know, like do it. And the game kind of makes it very hard for you to stay light enough to, like, do a manageable dodge roll while still having enough armor on to protect you. Unless you get this item that's basically, like, like hidden behind an early game mini boss that you can only get to if you choose a specific item at the beginning of the game before you even start. Now, if you came at it, I'm not sure about that. Because what if you came at it from the Darkroot Basin? Do you still need that Master Key? I, I think you still need the master key. I okay, can't sure. totally remember. I don't know if that door opens. He's a big I, guy wearing big armor, but I will he's a, say, he's Trevor... He's got big armor. He's got a big club that's a, just really a dragon tooth. Havel's great, but I think, like, you're, that's a you're, really... You are, bringing a, you are bringing a certain amount of prejudice into some of this because you could, if you wanted to, you could build your character out as a heavy mm-hmm. armor user... And yeah, if you totally, and if you totally. dumped enough resources into it, there is not a hit in that game that you can't tank. You can no, tank. but you're not going to be able to build up that resource through leveling to no, the degree where like you really need to be where like if you start as a knight, you can't even wear your gloves and helmet. It's a until, hard road. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I know for me with that fight in par- particular, like it was just like. I I kind of went into the game at first, uh, as I do most games, of just like, all right, you know, I'm going to just bash my way through. And uh, Dark Souls is not that, that type of game. It's just, uh, I think the, 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 the moment that it kind of all clicked for me was just like, all right, I need to be patient. And then I just kind of went in this like zen-like state of just like, all right, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to take my time. And then I was able to do it. I was able to beat, beat Havel and, and then uh, subsequently beat the, uh, you know, the gargoyles on, on the roof. Uh, but it was just like, fuck, man. I, I don't know how many times I died before, um, uh, before finally able kind of coming to that, you know, realization of like, shit. Like, you know, I definitely need to like kind of slow down and take a step back and, you know, just 
be patient basically um but before we kind of talk about uh gameplay i kind of want to go back to the story and kind of just go over the overall lore of the game sure. um I, I i'll be honest i don't know a whole lot about the story uh i just like know what was given to me at the beginning and then i was just dropped in so uh, trevor i know that you are like the expert and probably know more than me and dylan combined about the story as a whole so I know a little bit. I know a little bit too. I became very religious about reading item descriptions after That's a certain good. Point. I mean <laughs> like we like the game doesn't give you a lot of story. I would say like um something that like people love to quote when talking about this game uh, is this thing from Miyazaki where he like talked about how he experienced like literature in his childhood. Like mm-hmm. as a kid he was really big into like western medieval fantasy. Like, and he would, like, get books from the library and stuff about, like, knights and dragons and, that, and shit like that. But he wasn't fluent in English, so he only understood, like, maybe, like, 60 or 70% of the words. So he'd have to, like, fill in the rest himself. And that's kind of the approach that Dark Souls takes to storytelling, too. Like, it will, like, it probably gives you, like, 20% of its story through dialogue with NPCs. Like, another 20% through like the environment around you and item descriptions and then like the other 60 it expects you to fill in by yourself and it leaves it open to interpretation and there is i will say there's something very sweet about that and and like the goal of that i do like but it does kind of seem like the 50 percent of the story that is obfuscated from the player is sort of arbitrary like it doesn't necessarily feel like this perfectly crafted puzzle that he's left for you to put together. Mm-hmm. It more just feels like he had a design document with the full story and he just kind of clipped it in half, you know? I would, I, and I think I might mind that if the story were more integral to how you enjoy the game. But it I isn't. think you could just kind of play through Dark Souls as like a like really well curated collection of Dungeons and Dragons tropes and enjoy it completely like that. That's how I played completely, Dark yeah. Souls 3. I thought Dark Souls was like a franchise about just like throwing these tropes at you. Like here's a dungeon level, here's a swamp level, and here's like all these like, you know, classic D&D type villains. I didn't, it wasn't until I got on the internet and stuff and like started looking into the backstory of the characters and stuff that I realized that there is an actual like extensive lore behind everything. And I think yeah, it's like the- pretty good as far as like dark fantasy stuff goes. Like it's definitely like stuff that will like get you beaten up after school if like jocks hear you <laughs> talking about it. But I think it's like pretty tastefully done. Yeah, it's. It, I think the thing that's interesting about it for me at least is like on the scale of this like much money being spent on something. Which, by the way, they probably could have used a little bit more money than they had. Oh yeah, but- there are there are parts of this game. The first one, at least, I don't know about the other two, that are infamously unfinished. Sure, but but on on this scale of a of a product, like I can't think of another post apocalyptic medieval fantasy setting that's this realized. Like, I mean, Skyrim is supposed to be pretty good, right? I remember when I was it is in not post apocalyptic in any way, though. But, oh, like, got it, okay. Skyrim's that's the, got fucking that's the other government big, like, and. And That's the other big fantasy thing I would hold up next to Dark Souls. That and maybe the Witcher lore, which is supposed to be fairly. No, extensive. yeah, I'm saying there's definitely there's no shortage of medieval fantasy that mm-hmm. is that is available on a grand scale, but not end of the fucking world. The world is a nightmare, demon infested. Like we're just the ones who are left over, kind of world. Right. And 
you can find lots of literature about that. Like that's its own subgenre. It's just very cool to be able to walk around in a world like that, which is probably my personal favorite thing about the kind of world building of that game. It's almost like you cross like a, like Skyrim with Fallout in a way. Or Mad Max, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Mad Max too might be a good parallel. I like it. Do you want to talk about like the setting and the like I don't know if we need to get super, super deep into the lore. We can if you guys want. Uh, um, I I have time. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what you guys what your timetable is. Let me give you. Uh, let me give you, Trevor. Let me throw you like a thirty second sound bite, and then you 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 say. I almost well. You, first of all, I want to. How about we do this? First, I want to hear Brennan's Brennan's description of the story. <laughs> sure. Sorry. Yeah. Oh I've, God. Sorry, I have a coworker named Brennan. That might. No, happen. it's okay. First, it's I okay. want to hear Brennan's version of the story. Then Hit I want to hear with your Dylan. rhythm stick, Brennan. Yeah, and then and then we'll then I'll set you guys straight okay all right so so brandon a couple hours into dark souls you've got the opening cutscene. what do you know about this game um okay so basically what i know is that uh just you as as a character (laughs) here's the thing i don't know much i don't even know much about the plot and the the last time i was i was kind of exposed to the opening scene was like uh Back in October when the game first came out. Good, perfect, um, perfect. So, <laughs> I to to be honest, uh, I will say I did look something up recently, uh, just kind of to kind of give me an overall uh, sense of like what the plot is, um, or at least like what it generally is. Um, from what I understand, it's just like the opening scene is like this world was once ruled by dragons. Uh, and then there was, uh, somebody, no, uh, I think it's Gwyn, uh, yep. who finds, he finds the first flame, uh, and finds whatever the that souls. is. Yeah. Whatever those I, are. Yeah, yeah. And then basically he defeats the dragons, uh, which starts the age of fire. And then, um, you know, uh, as time goes on, I guess the, f- the flames of the age of fire start to fade. Because, the first flame starts to go out. Yeah. <laughs> because I guess humans are coming. And so Gwyn kills himself basically to kind of keep the age of fire going. And, um, as a result, uh, there's an undead curse that kind (laughs) of takes a hold on humanity. And, you know, from that point on, you know, you are an undead person, uh, in a prison and that's kind of where the game starts. And you're kind of left to your own devices after that. That's, that's my like cursory under, like, that's what I put in my Dylan, do you have anything you want to add to that? I think yeah, that was actually pretty I'll, decent. It was really good. Here's yeah. what I'll here's what I'll add to it. So there were really powerful things, and the world was great for them. And there were little shitty unpowerful things, and the world sucked for them. And the little yep. the little shitty unpowerful things figured out a way to get the jump on the big things. And then for a while, it was great for them, but shitty for everyone else. And now after a while, it's even gotten really shitty for them. So you're. You're in the underclass of a group of people who, for whom life is also bullshit. And (laughs) you have to kind of figure out what to do with that position because you are, are a prophesized figure. You're this, you're this chosen cursed being. Well, chosen is an interesting word in that context because you're referred to as the chosen undead, but there's also the game gives you the sense that maybe all the undead are chosen. Any, anybody could be the chosen undead. 
I think by virtue of the fact that you're successful in your pilgrimage means that you're fulfilling the prophecy and thus the chosen undead. But yeah, but I mean, like, so is Solaire, you know, so is the Onion Knight to a degree. I feel that. But but in any case, in any case, you're kind of like you're you're being you're the guy who happens to, to get farther than all the other guys. You're you're being tasked to quote unquote save the world, knowing full well that it's always kind of sucked and will continue to suck. Yeah, <laughs> that's my take anyway. So just to fill in some of the blanks, like like Brandon said, the the game start the game's history starts like long before it even begins. We're in like this realm that is ruled by immortal dragons. Um, eventually one of like the underclass of the human four of them actually there's Gwyn who's like the lord of sunlight he's basically like Zeus from ancient Greek mythology okay there's this other guy Nido lord of the dead he's basically like a bunch of skeletons and stuff he's pretty he's cool. a Katamari of death <laughs> <laughs> pretty much there's, uh, there's, there's, there's the, the witch of, of Isleth yeah Isleth and her daughters of chaos she finds one and then the fourth Lord Soul, whatever those is are. A is Judas. He's a Judas. The furtive pygmy. So oh, no, sorry. I'm forgotten. thinking of Seath. He's like the unofficial fifth beetle. He's like the fifth <laughs> beetle. So so the the three that find them, the, the pygmy who like goes on to create like the race of men, he scutters away. But the three who find them, Gwyn, Nita. What does furtive and, mean? Does furtive just mean like hidden or something? I, think I don't so, remember what yeah. furtive means. It means like out of sight or something. So those three are like, hey, we found these souls. They made us super powerful. Let's use it to kill the dragons and take this world for ourselves. And they are joined by uh, Seath the Scaleless, who is... He's a Judas. He's a Judas. He, yeah, he, he hates all the other dragons because he's the only one that doesn't have scales, and he's this, which makes him mortal. So he helps the gods overthrow the dragons, and they take over this land, Lordran, and bring in the Age of Fire, which only lasts... And it kind of seems like they all kind of fuck off and make their own little nation states, sort of. Yeah, right? well, Nino just, like, goes back to sleep in that coffin. I don't know what the Witch of Isla stuff What was Isla What was does. in it for him? <laughs> Nino. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, well, I guess because, like, the immortal dragons were rolling, nobody was really dying or something. Who knows? Maybe. I don't really know. Maybe. It's You know, you gotta look up... Maybe, maybe you should make a YouTube video about it. Maybe he anyway. just wants to roll around and pick up more skeletons so he can turn them into a star. <laughs> so eventually they realize that the fame is flighting, because all things do. And uh, the Witch of Isleth is like, hey, why don't I use this soul I found to rekindle it? And they're like, I don't know if that's a good idea, but she does it anyway. And that creates a giant race of demons. After which uh, Gwyn is like, I'll just kindle the flame myself by sacrificing like my own body. Mm-hmm. And he does that artificially prolonging the age of fire for another thousand years and bringing into effect that curse you talked about. I don't know Which is like, what that what? has to do with anything, <laughs> right? but a curse sweeps over the land and some people get this thing called the dark sign, which basically marks you as an undead. So after mm-hmm. you die, you just kind of come back to life and, and apparently you dying you're let, over you're and over of, again. It, it almost feels like you're sort of led like a moth to the flame to the North, to Lordran. Well, right? it, uh, what they say in the game is that like the people who aren't cursed kind of rally up the undead and put them in this asylum. But there's is... another item that says like you know the cursed are are naturally drawn to the north. I don't remember what item it is, but it, it does feel like there's some kind of a weird beaconing too that kind of like makes you want to go there. Possibly, but there's this legend that a chosen undead will like uh, go to Lordran. And ring these two bells of awakening. 
and then the like purpose of the undead will be revealed. <laughs> and that kind of takes up the first half of the game. Okay. Get broken, you, you as an undead get broken out of the asylum. You arrive in Lordran, and you find out there's these two bells you got to ring. So, hey, why not ring them? And that's right. Much but it. when you when you first become undead, you're sort of like weekend at Bernie's too, in that you're dead and loving it. But then later, <laughs> something you go hollow. Something happens. Yeah, you yeah. go hollow, which is like if that's you die when you become, times, or if you lose your like will to go on, you kind of become like you know a hollowed out. Zombie like a Romero person. zombie who just yeah. wants to fucking be aggressive and shitty. And people have like drawn great parallels between that process and the process of people playing Dark Souls and getting so worn down by sticking points that they put down the game and stop playing it. Like those players go uh, go high level. I, I yeah, feel I like that. that. I I feel that. I definitely happens, feel it that. It happens to a lot of people. It's happened yeah. to me with like uh, Dark Souls three at points. I'm I'm technically hollow right now in Dark Souls two because I played. 15 minutes of that game and couldn't get past the first area and have been too afraid to pick it back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's how that's currently how I am uh, right now. I just, I'm mostly spend uh, in a constant state of, of being hollow. I don't think I really ever make myself human or quote unquote human. Right. Uh, well, that's, that's a mechanic in the game. We should talk about that later. Yeah. Um, I started doing it later for something for different reasons, but, but, Something that the game never really spells out for you is kind of what is existence in this world like for humans who are not undead? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. where, you never really what, see that. Where, everybody where are they? What are they doing? Undead. You know, which would kind of answer so many questions for me about what the Age of Fire really represents, because like something tells me that it's not so fucking good for them either. Something tells me that like nobody in this world is particularly jazzed about what's going on right now. Well, later games reveal that Gwyn kind of hates the humans, and he's always doing things that make it seem like he's a beneficial ruler while kind of taking actions behind the scenes to keep everything under his thumb. Okay. Um, but by the can- time we we get to Gwyn, he, all we know about him is that he artificially kindled the first flame by sacrificing himself. Yeah, and halfway um, through the game, after you ring those bells, you uh, you you meet a, a big old serpent with a lot of teeth. He's one of my favorite characters in the game. He's got a big mustache, and he talks like uh, Patrick Stewart kind of. And he tells you that now that you've ring the bells, you're the chosen undead, and your purpose is to quote succeed Lord Gwyn. Which makes it sound like, ooh, you're gonna be the. I'm new, gonna be the king. You're gonna be the king. You're gonna be the. You're gonna be the new lord of the sun. Right. But what, what is, the servant doesn't tell you is that he really just wants you to set yourself on fire and suffer for a thousand years to keep this age of light going, just for a little bit longer before things like slip into the darkness. Until some other poor fucko makes makes it through all those bosses on the way to you and assumedly kills you. Yeah. Can I? Can and I that's say... the good ending of the game. <laughs> what, what's? I guess what's the what's the bad? I mean, because I the was bad, I w- the the quote bad ending or like the dark ending mm-hmm. is uh, you don't kind of like if you don't trust the serpent you meet, you can hold off from giving him a special item that you need to give him. And, and they you give you a much later. more trustworthy friend in the form of another identical serpent. <laughs> another serpent who looks exactly <laughs> like him and sounds exactly like him, but has a different name and tells you, hey, that other serpent, he's bullshitting with you. You gotta, <laughs> you, your job, you gotta kill Gwyn 
don't kindle the flame. I just let the darkness in, baby. Let's get this darkness party started. Like, he kind of sells it to you like, humans should be in charge. Yeah, you don't owe anything to this guy. Who the fuck is he? But really, if you like, uh, if, if you play the DLC, you go to a, a different realm and a different time where he kind of had his way of things and you see how things ended up for them and it's not going so great. It's not going so great. No. It's really it's really unsettling. So the 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 overall outcome is for you as as the player uh quote unquote not great. <laughs> I mean, it kind of sounds like uh you know you know if you do one th- you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, you no know, type situation. So Arguably um, not great for anyone. I mean, yeah, the, the, it's well, like we know it could we be. Know it that- could be. It could be great. The thing is, and this is the really long way of looking at it. It could be great depending on whatever the next age is. But first, like if you do let the flame extinguish, you got to go through a really nightmare period where everything really does get torn down to the, like the very base level. Mm-hmm. Like some fucked up stuff has got to happen if you want to start over. Yeah. And so it's really the point of like. Hey, do we want to confront this or do we want to like if you were given that choice, like what would you do? You know, hang on for just a little bit longer because you know it's going to be really bad when you finally do have to start a new cycle or do you just like bite the bullet and go with the dark serpent? I need more information, but to me it kind of feels like the humane thing to do would be to euthanize planet Earth at that point, you know, to yeah. fucking to not wipe the slate clean and go into an age of darkness, to not extend the flame. To somehow obliterate the rock we are all living on and extinguish all life in this in this universe. Yeah. Either way, though, you get the feeling you're being manipulated. Because if you do choose like the dark path, when you get back to your original friend Serpent, he like tells you you're a fool in like in in a way that like makes you feel like wow, somebody really must have like fucked me over here. Like, did I make a bad choice? Uh oh. But you're stuck with it then. Yeah. yeah, the game the game sort of definitely leads you... The, both endings feel pretty elliptical in their nature, mm-hmm. too. So let me let me kind of ask you, uh, without, I guess, giving too much away, like, how does this sort of feed into, like, the, the subsequent uh, games, like Dark Souls 2 and 3? Like, how, how yeah, does... Well, Dark, Dark Souls 1 is a really... 2 has, like, a really tenuous connection to everything, though. Dark Souls but, 1 is a really self-contained story with its own lore and pretty much all the answers to itself. Then two is kind of like an unrelated series of short stories set somewhere in the same universe, like maybe a thousand years or a couple thousand years down the line. It really has nothing to do with the first game. Then the third one comes along and ruins all of the first game's lore by making a bunch of really shallow fan service-y callbacks in a way that I love, (laughs) but but that the fan community was not really here for like one of my favorite things about dark souls 3 is uh what it does with this one character a beloved character from dark souls 1 named solaire you've mm-hmm. probably met him yeah like, i've, right, I've the, met him praise actually, the sun guy yep i've actually used him as a a summoning person you know in some of my fights so. everybody loves solaire and the big prevailing theory about him uh when the first game was popular um, there's this subplot in the game where Gwyn had a first subplot son. is such a such a strong strong word. <laughs> sure, sure. There's there's a little bit of background in the game about Gwyn having this firstborn son that he banished uh, for losing the annals of history or something, 
And like uh, when you finally get to Gwen's keep and stuff, all of his statues are torn down, and nobody really knows who this firstborn son character was. But there are a lot of there are a lot of things that the community took as hints that Solaire was the firstborn son of Gwyn. Mm-hmm. And that was basically like, as far as the fans were concerned, canon. Like that's what everybody thought. Then the third game came out, and it's really, 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 really heavily implied that Solaire was just like some dude who ended up getting eaten by a maggot and digested for a thousand years until he was eventually a giant lava worm with lightning powers. That, or he was tortured and turned into soup. (laughs) Holy shit. But, but the, but the, the, the infighting family, let's go ahead and call it a subplot. It's as, it's as close as you'll get in this game. Yeah. Uh, is interesting. And Gwen's, children are are interesting people you get to meet one and kind of another one yeah he has uh, has two kids you meet there's guinevere his daughter and there's uh gwendolyn his second son who you only you can go through the game like playthrough after playthrough without even finding out about this guy because he was really gwen was was he was really uh lord gwen was really fucking george formatting it up with his (laughs) naming strategies (laughs) yeah yeah but you, you meet them, like, about halfway through the game when you finally get to uh, the city of the gods, Anne Orlando, after, like, ringing the two bells and getting through this really, like, tough proving ground area, Sen's Fortress. And then Bran, and then Bran, finally, finally, things get a little sexy. Finally, <laughs> Dark Souls gets a little bit sexy. You meet, you meet, uh, you meet, you meet um, Gwen's daughter, Guinevere, who has just an enormous rack. She's like, a, a voluptuously put together gal. She's a giantess, um, and she tells you. And she hey. will she will vor you if you go to rule thirty four dot com and type her name <laughs> in. You, Wouldn't you surprise can... me. Vor doesn't get introduced into Dark Souls canon until the third one, though, which is really fucking heavy on Vor. Like weird. Speaking I... of Gwendolyn, there's a whole boss in um, Dark Souls three. Maybe the biggest boss in the game. A lot of people will tell you, who's just a giant slug voring Gwendolyn, and you have to fight Gwendolyn <laughs> while he's what? being vored by this. Yeah, it's. I can't wait for you to play it, Don. It's a crazy. That's so game. messed up. It's really so messed, messed up. up. Aldrich, the Devourer of Men. Dude, that, yeah. I, I won't lie. That name is that name is cool, but like it's very cool. I, I gotta wonder if like Miyazaki was like, hmm, how can I get my vor fetish into my game? Miyazaki has some. <laughs> Problems. Who is that? Who is that uh, popular the Tumblr edit drums? guy? The, no, the the popular Tumblr edit guy who got outed as a war fetishist was it? Was uh, it? Oh, uh, Constable uh, Frozen. Constable Frozen. Constable yeah. Frozen. Yeah, Miyazaki, yeah, the of Constable those... Frozen of, of of game video game auteurs. Some of those edits really <laughs> fucked me up. They're messed up. But yeah, you you meet Gwendolyn. She tells you, hey. Way to go. It's your job to succeed my dad. And if you want, if you're like totally lawless, you could like take out your bow and shoot her with an arrow and she'll die. And all the lights go off in Anne Orlando and all the enemies disappear. And you hear like an ominous voice go like, how dare you disrespect the holy godmother? And like, it's clear that you've like done, you, you fucked up somehow. And you go out the gate. Like, you go out of her keep, and you, like, mm-hmm. see, like, your only ally in the city so far charging at you with a sword, going, like, what the fuck did you do? And then you have to kill her, and eventually you find Gwyn's other other child, Gwendolyn, who's, like, a uh, who, who lives in, like, um, the endless hallway from Mario 64. 
<laughs> and you have to fight him in that while he's constantly teleporting away from you and firing. Spells. It's a really cool fight. I really like that fight. I it's found neat. my way to that fight in like the weird secret back doorway, and yeah, it was a I, I much really wish... less satisfying experience. Yeah, it's really cool when you trigger Dark Anorlando. I was a little disappointed that I guess you can also stumble upon it if you happen to walk up to a statue while wearing a certain ring. Maybe so that's basically, like... I was using that ring because it gave me an extra spell equip slot, and I was using that while exploring because I could quickly warp back to a bonfire with that extra yep. slot. Okay. And I was just like, what's down here again? Oh, right, that bonfire. Oh, wait, now there's a big hallway. And I went down it, and then the game just kind of acts like you've still fucked up and and did the thing to ruin at Orlando. Except for you didn't, but that lady still wants to attack you. It's very weird. Yeah, it's really cool if you trigger it the right way. I suggest, like, next time you pick it up for a playthrough, like, give it a shot. Yeah, for sure. It's very cool. Okay, maybe I maybe when I get to that part, maybe I'll do that. And I want to know uh, where you fell off the first time. All right, so, it, I mean, it's pretty, pretty early in the game. It's, no, that's fine. It's basically, uh, it's those two, it was the rooftop gargoyles. I kind of, my strategy for going at it was not the right way, basically. It's just I would kind of just go after them all willy-nilly. I wasn't even targeting them. Um, I was just kind of, like, going, just, like, trying to strong-arm it. And it was like, that was not the way at all to, to fight to fight that, that boss battle. The Belgor Gargoyles yeah. is definitely a big step-up moment, for sure. People, mm. people will tell you that that's a spike in difficulty, yeah. A lot of people find them to be a, an early sticking point. Them and uh, another boss that's never really given me trouble, but a lot of people complain about Capra Demon. Uh, that's I didn't where have I'm at. Capra Demon. That is where I'm at right now. Um, I've I've looked up several different strategies. Uh, what what kills me with, with, with Capra Demon is... Not only is there the the two dogs that are just in the room to to also that are also there to fuck you up, uh, it's just the area is such just like small narrow. It's a little closet, yeah. It's yeah. really it's different than every area you've kind of fought it in so far. So it takes some getting used to. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. those bell gargoyles though. Like the that's a that's a really good way for me to talk about something that I really enjoyed about this game, which is that any time. Anytime that something killed me, like, let's say more than four times in a row, mm-hmm. uh, which the Bell Gargoyles did, I think I probably fought them like five or six times before I beat them. Yeah. Um, the answer was always that I needed to change what I was doing. It was never that I needed to just like get twitchier and like have have better response time, you know, like that's that shit helps. But yeah. It was that on a more on a meta level, on a big over headline level, I needed to to tackle the boss in a different way than I was, and yeah. almost every time I was really stuck on something, that was the answer. Which to me, like, really speaks to that thing that converts to the cult of Dark Souls say all over and over again, which is like, it's hard but it's fair. And like, what does fairness mean? Well. I would argue that there is some unfair shit in Dark Souls, for sure. sure. Yeah. I, I don't think any Dark Souls fan will tell you that there isn't any unfair stuff. There are some like design flaws and stuff that they clearly just didn't think through enough. And there's just some stuff that's like, there's some stuff that's hard and fun to do, and there's some stuff that's hard and not fun to do. Mm-hmm. But the f- the first half of that Bell Gargoyle fight is a lot like most of the big enemy fights you've experienced up to that point right like yes this thing hits this thing hits hard 
you have to learn what it means when it does this and when you need to get out of the way or whatever. But when that second one shows up, like it throws you for a loop because you got to just figure out how do I deal with this other one kind of like sniping me with its fire and this mm-hmm. one fucking me up. And like, yeah, I just like hit my head against the wall for a long time until I finally realized, you know what? Number two has half health the of number one. Yeah. And always starts with that super long fire attack, which fucks you up if you're in it. But if you just, the second that second HP bar shows up, if you just start positioning yourself to get away from that attack and behind that dude, you can take down that gargoyle over the course of one or two of those fire attacks. Yeah, you can really punish him for that. He really leaves himself open. So again, the answer wasn't that like I needed to get to be better at the game. The answer was that I needed to think about what the game was throwing at me in a in a you know in a I needed to get more cerebral, plan things out a little better, and change up my strategy. That was always the most satisfying gameplay experience for me when the game rewarded me for working smarter not harder essentially yes that that's definitely been my my overall experience since kind of coming back to the game is just like uh you know that sort of like sense of like all right let me take a step back and let me really think about you know what it is that i'm doing and why am i doing the things that i'm doing um i think for for me personally that's that's what helped me kind of propel myself a little bit further in the game since i've i've gone back to it because i just i don't know i had to change my whole way of thinking about it and how that I for, the game. that the game is built for those kind of periods of reflection as well mm-hmm. because like and this becomes annoying if you do find yourself stuck on a boss but all of the bosses have fairly extensive run up periods yeah imagine if the bonfire like, was right before that like you yeah. would never you would never nope. think you would never yeah, think they, on your run up they put your respawn uh they put your respawn points maybe like Sometimes like five, a five minute or like maybe like two minute run away from the boss. If it, yeah, and, if you're just charging, it's usually not more than two minutes. But it's and but you're it's, supposed to like spend that time reflecting on what you did right and what you did wrong and what you yeah. can try different. It really is. It has these built in cooldown periods, and those get really annoying. Like if like I don't know like Dylan, I don't know how many times my first playthrough I had to do that run from the. Uh, bonfire in in orlando to ornstein and smo's room where you have to to wait for that elevator but it is it takes so long to get there. it's a while and it's it's no coincidence that they put that kind of run-up in like in front of what a lot of people tell you is like the hardest boss fight in the game well can we talk about can we talk about places where i almost fell off because yeah 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 absolutely i think my i think my main sticking points in the game i'll just go through mine really quick before you get to yours dylan were uh all boss fights. Seat the scaleless, the four kings who I really fucking hated the first time around, and the bed of chaos, which is not an enjoyable fight. The bed of chaos is one of mine. It's this long, atrocious platforming boss that's not yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, so the first the first time I wanted to quit Dark Souls was uh, when I died on the bridge from the dragon right after the Taurus demon fight. Oh, that sucks. Oh, man. Techni- yeah, that- technically, so, technically not a dragon. It's a, it's a drake or a wyvern. Oh, yeah, because it doesn't have four legs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, because it's not immortal. But also because it only it doesn't have four legs and two wings. It has two legs and, and two wings. Anyway. Sure. <laughs> but... but Nerd. It, but the the thing about that moment is so the Taurus demon who is right before him is like your first like 
real boss out in the world. You fought your way to it because there's like a, t- a tutorial boss at the very, very beginning. But yeah. then you fight you fight the Taurus Demon. Now, in retrospect, pretty simple, pretty easy fight. But it's your first experience in that game with this thing that can like theoretically catch you in a combo and kill you immediately and like... You got to run up to it. You're le- you're learning the loop of this game, the rhythm of this game. And like the first time you beat the Taurus demon, theoretically is like the most satisfying moment you've had with the game so far, right? Because yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's it's thrown a gauntlet at you f- like culminating in a boss fight and you've done it and hooray, right? So I guess canonically the thing you should do at that point is go back to the bonfire, but you're like, fuck yeah, I finally get to cross this bridge. Oh, cool, what's down here? Then you meet like this beloved NPC and you really feel like you've made some progress and then you walk out onto this bridge and it's like a big fuck you. This dragon comes out of nowhere and kills you. And like in retrospect, there is a small texture change on that bridge to signify that there was fire there earlier. And that's and like, you, you can, you can hear the dragons swoop in and you have time to roll out of the way. It's not an instant death, but you, yeah, because you you're to, so like, roll high, but because you're so high on that victory over the Taurus demon and you've just finally stepped out into the sun for the first time in a while. And you've got this big yeah. bridge across you and you're on top of the world and you feel like you could do anything. You're not paying attention to that kind of stuff. And so you, so this dragon breathes fire over the entire bridge, and you usually die. And if you're if you're eagle-eyed, you can even see that bonfire at the end of it. You're like, yeah. fuck mm-hmm. yeah, there's my safe spot, and you start mm-hmm. you start charging out towards it, and it just kills you. You and the, the best thing is that like it's guarded by like one of the heavier assortment of enemies that you've seen so far. I think there's like bunch six of archers on the bridge, yeah. bridge in front of you. So you're like, okay, how am I going to do this? If I, if I go here, I can dodge the arrows and take out these guys and then I could get the archers, but the dragon just ends up killing all of them for you. I like legitimately just wanted to quit for the night. And I persisted because <laughs> I was enjoying the social aspect of playing along with Trevor. Uh, did you find like, it, how did you find the run back up there from the previous bonfire to get your souls though I bet you sped through the berg yeah yeah I mean I, at that point I was pretty good at speeding through the berg anyway because I did so to reach the boss you know mm-hmm. so yeah that was fairly trivial but it was obnoxious it was it was a super obnoxious thing and like honestly if it if it wasn't for Trevor's guidance at that moment I my answer to that situation would have been, the game is telling me not to go this way right now. And I would have gone and fucked back off to the cemetery thinking like, yeah, I got a better weapon now. I got better I got better armor. I'll go take on the skeletons. Or like, let me go explore in that elevator down from Firelink uh, and check out the, the... But the thing is, is that both of the two other areas you can go from the start of Dark Souls are, yeah. in, in the game's opinion, the wrong way to go. And, they, and they've done things to those two dungeons to make you bounce off of them. If you go into the catacombs, the enemies regenerate, and you're like, fuck, what am I supposed to do? And you get overwhelmed by them. If you go to the, the New Londo ruins, there's ghosts that you literally can't hit yet. So, so it's to me, that's a very dumb thing to do after, like, your first big boss victory. I think it's it's like a moment that would have bounced me off the game if I had not have been, like... If I hadn't had a go get him buddy alongside me, you know, I think um, it's a fairly, I think that's a fair point. 
The other one that I that that bounced me off of it that I don't know if I would change, maybe I'd change it slightly, is the the on ramp to Blight Town. Um, oh, that's Blight. That's you mean like when you are first you first go down the ladder and there's those big trolls. Yeah, I'd say the yeah. first the first like ten minutes of Blight Town were a were a thing that almost shook me off that game. Um, I gotta so, say, I spent a lot of time running through those first ten minutes of my first playthrough, but now like Upper Blight Town is one of my absolute favorite areas of the game, just because of how hostile it is. Blight Town's a favorite of mine too. So, so I don't know if you're there yet. Are you there yet, Bran? Uh, no, I'm. I'm still stuck. I'm on that. You're Capra you're Demon. pretty close. You got I'm like, like a pretty close. Yeah, you got like but an like, area, and then you'll be there. But but Blight you Town get... is an infamous area in Dark Souls. It is frequently considered to be one of the most punishing for new players. Something something that some of the areas, not all of the areas in Dark Souls do, but some of them do, is to really put their trickiest sections right at the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would argue that uh, that Sen's Fortress does that too. Like I die. On run throughs to send fortress, I die in the first room or in the second room more than anywhere else in that. In that did you? Section. I wanted to ask you, but I didn't. Did you trigger? Did you get hit by the arrows as soon as you walked into Sense fortress, Dylan? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I did. That's uh, every like. I feel like once in every from software game, they'll put something like on your very first step into an area that lets you know like this one's really gonna fuck with you. And in Sense fortress, it's. Stepping on that button that shoots arrows at you. I love that. There's a great area in Bloodborne called the Forbidden Woods where immediately you trigger a trap that like swings a giant spiked log into you, which is almost even better. It's like, okay, the, I'm the, not going to like this area. The reason that I don't know that I would change the entrance to Blight Town, though, is that when you overcome that first precarious, like... So you basically, Brandon, you get to this area where it's like, this really narrow landing strip surrounded by a, an instant kill pit, right? Okay. And it, it basically, in quick succession, you have to fight these four... Is it three or four? I think there's three of the trolls with clubs. Okay, yeah. These three big trolls, which I think up to that point of standard, like, non-mini-boss enemies are pr- probably, A, have the highest HP and can do the most damage. They're pretty slow, uh, but the issue is the platform you're on is very narrow. So if okay. you're going to knock you right off there. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a dodge roller, which I was almost exclusively at that point, I wasn't really fucking with my shield as much. Like you'll just keep killing yourself. And like, and then as soon as you kill them, you immediately get sniped by this dude who, in, who <laughs> so infects good. you, who infects you with a new status ailment that you've never encountered before, which is basically super poison. It's just Toxic. poison. It, it's poison, but it drains your shit like four times faster. And the only way to cure it is this is this fairly rare drop. That yeah, it's that not is... super rare, but it's not as rare as the poison one. So usually you're able to make it through Blight Town, at least in my experience, with just enough. Yeah, yeah. Like that was maybe my you maybe you have one left over, or like maybe you're missing one, but they give you like just enough to do it. But if I hadn't yeah. if I hadn't grinded that area that had that drop as long, I would have been in a real bad sort. And those and those enemies that snipe you and fuck you with that, they die permanently, which is like Can you imagine if they respawned that arrow uh, would be impossible. It would be impossible. It would be undoable, undoable. But, but the cool thing the reason that I don't know that I would change that, where I would definitely 
I would change the whole Drake encounter. The reason I wouldn't change that that Blighttown on ramp. I know that, a lot of uh, I know a lot of sixteen year old girls who would change the whole Drake encounter. <laughs> <laughs> is, is Sorry, that, you were uh, just you were making Drake jokes to me your entire playthrough, and I wanted to get one in. Thank you, I appreciate it. I'm glad that you joined the ranks. Anyway, the. The the reason I wouldn't is that like when I when you finally get to that bonfire, and Blight Town like opens up into the biggest area maybe in the game. The swamp at the end. I mean, yeah, it just becomes this super vertical treehouse thing that leads you down these pipes into this big swamp area, and it's yeah. just like, and at that point, I think the game the the rest of that that area is like challenging, but not uh, not too bad, and like. It's it a becomes... lot different if you don't have the rusted iron ring, which I made sure you got because that's true. Yeah, that keeps you mobile going through like thick liquid and poison and stuff. But if you don't have that, you cannot really move down there. It's very it just, very hard. It makes the it makes the rhythm of that that dungeon so interesting to me, where it's like this really punishing bottleneck that opens out into this like really interesting, enormous playground space. You know. Yeah. Like I don't know, it's that to me is very cool. I would I would absolutely scrap the the tree boss and start over from scratch. I fucking hated that thing. Like I had to the tree boss. I, I, what was the tree boss? The the one you have to jump across the platform and it's trying to sweep. sweep oh yeah, the bed of the, chaos. That was fuck that yeah, thing. It's, I died. Shame. Yeah. I died ten times on that boss, and I and it was not like a. I just need to learn how to do it right thing. No, it was yeah. just a dumb... And it it kind of was, because I needed to sort of hide behind that pillar and wait for the swipe to end and then do my run. But even then, like, the, your moveset in that game, you're not Super Mario. And no, so, no, absolutely not. You're not you're Kratos, it, you're not Spider-Man, you're just... It's very close to just being you in the video game. Maybe if you were a little... Close. Maybe if you were a little stronger... But and but there's something I wanted to talk about with that when we get to the gameplay. But I think that's one of the most satisfying things about Dark Souls. Oh, because I you... completely agree. The fact that like that game rewards you for working your way into areas you shouldn't be is so cool. Like mm -hmm. the fact that it gives you you can't even like do a little animation where you climb up on a waist high ledge. Like mm -hmm. you can't. You just fall onto things. You can jump like you know two feet out in front of you. And you just got to look around and, and, but the fact that the, that the level, I love the level design. It's amazing. But let's talk that's... about the overall like level design of Dark Souls. Cause the, everybody's favorite thing about this game is that everything is very intri intricately connected. Yeah. Like it's the one time, like the only time since from software has really done like a big open world game. And there are some points where it doesn't really feel like an open world because the individual areas are kind of linear but they're all connected and you can travel through them pretty quickly once you kind of get the lay of the land. Yeah, they, a lot of them loop back on themselves in a, in a satisfying way. And, yeah. right. and that's kind of that's kind of what I've ran into so far is like at first I felt like the game was, oh, this is going to be a pretty linear experience and, you know, maybe it'll. But then I've as I've gone on to play it, you know, I've come to find out that like, no, it's not so linear. You know, I there are different ways to get back to areas I've been before and I've. I actually really like I actually I like the I guess the overall path that the game has been carving out for me so far. So mm -hmm. 
And the the way you loop back to previous areas, I don't think there's anything cooler than that in the game. It's That's very satisfying. It's it. very satisfying like, whenever it happens. I wanted to talk about like um I think a good area to kind of focus our discussion around would be the area that the game focuses around, Firelink Shrine. Yeah, which absolutely. It's kind of like your hub area. It's where it's gorgeously NPCs, built. It's gorgeously it's really built. Nice. It's very vertical. It's extremely yep. like it's well like a wound together. With, uh, a spawn po- a spawn point, a bonfire, which is like your which is like your safe haven built right in the middle of it. It's where your NPCs gather as you find them out in the world. It's the only area in the game with music except for the boss fights. So like you'll be out in the world doing all this stuff and it's totally silent except for the atmospherics. When you near Firelink, uh, some music fades in. It's very calming and really makes you feel like you're safe. And the game does really cool things to kind of mess with that. And like the, the way like... The, the dopamine that triggers in you when you hear the Firelink Shrine music kick in as you near it is always so great for me personally. And there's a the 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 ingenious of that game is that like there's actually have you played Mario Odyssey yet, Trevor? No. Something that that game has in common with Dark Souls uh, is that the they very thoughtfully considered where you might be able to get yourself, um, and wink at you when you get to those places so like the movement in in mario odyssey is is you know freeing and powerful enough that you can get up onto shit that it seems like you shouldn't be able to and it's hard Uh to do yeah and then when you do they'll be like here's some coins up here good job you know and that and it this, definitely feels like a Dark Souls inspired thing like if yes because you... this game this game will be like hey you made it here's a soul Yep. You know, like that there's it's it's very similar. It's very similar. And like yeah. even even Firelink Shrine, which is this really small space, it's so vertical and so nested that like, you know, twenty hours into that game I got a wild hair up my ass and I was like, I wonder if I could get over there and I did and there was shit over there. And it was such mm-hmm. a it's just such a cool, satisfying experience. And I guarantee you that game is full of shit that I have not found. Little, little. I wanted I, like, to ask you. You know that. You know that weird dude who sells trinkets down in the depths. Yeah, that guy. Did you find him at Firelink Shrine in the second half of the game? Mm, I don't think so. You know, you know, under the bridge where you find the uh, that rare ring of sacrifice, like very early in the game. Yeah, if yeah. If you go yeah. back over there, he's just chilling, and he sells no you shit. like he's just chilling there, and he sells you like a bunch of like late game armor. Like, oh, that's so, cool. that's so cool! That's so cool. Also, uh, I I can't remember you mentioning it, but you know, um, patches the bald guy who pushes you off the cliff. Yeah, one know, of my favorite NPCs in the whole game. I'm a big fan of patches. He sh- he hangs out uh, up by the graveyard uh, after that event. This guy's so good. I don't want. I I'll just spoil it for you, Brent, because it's such a small. No, thing, that's that's, so, that's totally fine. It's so funny. You get to this. Uh, I I will say that in general, the later the the latter half of the areas you go to are some of my least favorites. Um, they're all, they're definitely a step down from the early areas, but they all have pretty cool like NPC stuff going on in them. To make and and I would I say Tomb of the Giants is actually probably my favorite of them. I I do like the library, but I found it a little bit fatiguing. I I, I like the weird survival horror area where like. It's super dark. You can't see anything in front of you, and then like you, you have to have take to out a torch, shit. so you don't really have your shield. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. And so you get to this one part, and there's this fucking dude. And what's so funny is the scam he's running is so 
pitifully obvious, but the game actually locks you into a cutscene because I think at that point it's trying to And the to game never you. does that. The game never. like never does that. Okay. And I actually really like it because I think it's trying to tell you something about the undead the the chosen undead, which is that he's dumber than you are. It which is such a satisfying moment because he's just like, Oh yeah, hey, I, I think there's a bunch of treasure down there over that little cliff. Why don't you go take a peek? And you're like, uh-huh. And <laughs> then your character just very slowly walks over and peers over the edge and he just fucking kicks you in the back. <laughs> down over into a pit and you fucking fall and by the way before you do you can see a bunch of like drops from dead people at the bottom of that pit yeah. so like clearly just been running this scam this this whole time right you fight your way out of that pit eventually you find him again and he's just like oh no don't hurt me i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i was just I just thought I just got real tempted, but I promise I won't do it again. And I just like, he's my favorite NPC. I really love that he just worked his way down into a very difficult dungeon so that he can, <laughs> that he can just fleece travelers for their shit by kicking them into a pit of skeleton demons. It's so good. He says it. That's what, that's what he does. It's but his he's, job. That's, that's that's patches. He shows up in every From Software game. He's even in Bloodborne with okay. uh, the body of a spider. He's oh, got weird. a Dylan. He's got a really funny scene in Dark Souls Three because uh, that game has its own. Um, another beloved character in Dark Souls is uh, uh, Siegmeier, the Onion Knight, who's this dude who wears like this suit of armor that kind of looks like an onion, like he's all round and fat. And Dark Souls Three has its own Onion Knight, uh, Siegward. And at one point, you're in, like, a, that Vor creature's temple. Okay. And you're looking over this pit with a bunch of giants in it. And you come across uh, Sigward, the Onion Knight. And he's like, there's some treasure over there if you want to go look for it. And so you go, like, across this rickety-like path to, like, go look at this treasure or whatever. And then you hear, like, an elevator get, a switch get triggered. And your path starts to descend. And you look back. And he pulls off his onion helmet, and it's patches. And he's like, have <laughs> fun with the giant. Great. He's great. He always shows up. He's a he's a fantastic character. Love That's him. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, to talk, uh, I just want to mention real quick how you get to Firelink at the beginning of the game is. I don't know why I find that sequence to be so funny, but for whatever reason, just the fact that that giant like bird just grabs you from the it's, asylum. It's very it's very metal. Just yeah. getting like plucked off a stormy hillside by a giant crow. Yeah, it's just like, and then it's like, all right, I dropped you here, and then you're in the game. But I don't know. I don't know for some reason that that whole sequence to me, it's it's one I think about quite a bit when I. Um, I like the Undead Asylum. Have you gone back to the Undead Asylum, Bran? I haven't. I haven't yet, actually. Um, I know you guys were talking about like you know patches and, and stuff, but uh, that reminded me of. Uh, towards uh near firelink uh there's that to get into the undead berg um on the outside there is um for me there's just this body that's just like hanging off like uh, a part of the bridge but it's like near a pillar and you can't quite get to it and the only way you would think that you could get to it is you would have to drop down from where another body's hanging off but it's like so obvious that um that if you try to get it you die but I feel like for me, I know I was, I did it at least once just to see if I could try to get this item that's just on this corpse. Um, and for some reason, I don't know. I just, uh, 
don't know why. What just bringing up hatches reminded me of that. That's a thing. You can that just get there. In the game. You can get over there. You can yeah, get you that, can. You can get that shit. Oh yeah, really? Totally yeah. Can. If you see if you see somewhere that looks like you can get to it, you can get to it. Okay, because I I thought for so long it was just like that was just something that they just put in there just to be like to trick you. I to be don't like, think you. I don't think you can get to it from up there. I think you okay. got to get to it a different way. Okay, a different way. Okay. Um, no, I haven't been back to the asylum yet. I mean, I, I, I mean, this is news to me, I guess. Can you, I assume you can get back there? You if, can, once you, you got Once you get the, once you get the elevator from the parish down to Firelink, which I want to talk about in a second, you, you got to do some creative platforming and land on a certain ledge and then go walk up to the bird's nest. And then if you curl up in a ball, the bird will pick you up and take you back to the undead asylum. And what? that's actually that's a, that's a good that's a decent enough segue to talk about something that I wanted to talk about, which is okay, which is signs that they ran out of money and or time in the middle of making Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because there's a particular boss that you fight three times as a boss, and it is the Asylum Demon, the first boss in the game. Um, when you go back to the asylum, they kind of cheese you and drop you into this crumbling floor pit with that like takes away a shitload of your health. And... Yeah, that's not a that's not a fun fight. I don't like this one. And then I don't do just, this until late in the game. It's just the asylum demon, except for now, all of his attacks are like area of effect. So you have to just like not be anywhere near his front when he's attacking, and not touch his tail while he's attacking. Okay. Uh, and he hits way harder, and it's the same fight otherwise. And then at another late game area where it's like the lava area, you go through a fucking fog gate, and you fight that motherfucker again. <laughs> yeah. And now he's on fire. And it's just like, why this guy? <laughs> why not? Like you throw... said, he's the main character of the Dark Souls franchise. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't stop fucking making me fight that guy. And like... You, you will later in the game, spoiler alert, Bran, you will fight Capra demons and Taurus demons again, but they're, like, downscaled versions to kind of, like, make you feel like you've... Look how far I've come, right? And they're and just they're kind sure. of intimidating moments, because at one point you're staring down an entire sea of Taurus demons. Oh, God. Yeah, sure. And, but, you know, it's it's pretty handleable the way they, they set it out for you. And, like, yeah. okay. that's also, I'm sure, a byproduct of... of budgetary and time things mm -hmm. but i think it's a more satisfying moment because you're like fuck it fuck look how i'm handling this shit now this is like not a big deal anymore yeah like um, that first time when you get to Anne orlando and you see like a gargoyle just casually rushing at you yeah, with, yeah, no, Bell gargoyle with no boss attacks. meter or anything yeah but yeah it doesn't treat them good. like bosses it treats them no. like you know like just enemies. normal enemies okay yeah I'm, but the, but the, but they're but the bosses are definitely like a pretty essential gameplay thing, right? Like the bosses are kind of the entrees in a way. Before we get into like the bosses and the combat stuff, I just wanted to talk about like I wanted to go over uh Dylan, you're in my like favorite area things we've experienced, like traversal related things, because I have two oh, sure. in particular that I want to talk about. And they're both about returning to Firelink Shrine. Okay. My first like one of my first one of my early very favorite moments in the game is after you get through the undead burg, you kill the Taurus demon, you work yourself through the undead parish, do everything that involves. And that's like, for an early player, I feel like that's a good two or three hours, maybe. Mm -hmm. It can be, at least. Potentially longer, even. Potentially if longer. Really, yeah. 
And then, like, you find this, like, uh, one of the biggest rooms in the parish, which has some of the most challenging enemies in it so far. It's got this giant knight with a great shield and, like, a mace and, like, a couple of the, like, balder knights, which are other challenging enemies. And you kind of have to make the decision to, like, rush through it or, like, take it all out and clear it out. And at the other end is an elevator, and you get on the elevator, and, it like, you don't really know where you're going because you've, like, you know, been going for so long. But then it just drops you back down to Firelink, and you have this shortcut now between these two areas. And there's no cheating. took you, like, two the, the... or three, like, hours to get through. And there's just... no cheating. There's no cheating. Like, the, the geometry has all been mm-hmm. continuous. You have literally, without realizing it, worked your way away from Firelink Shrine, and then suddenly the game has curved you and worked you in a U back towards it. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's been so kind of labyrinthine in its progression that you have no idea that that's happened. It's you a, step on like this Dark Souls elevator. is always a more vertical game than you expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But it's really just one big column almost, it feels like. And, I would, you, I would, and you you step on that elevator and you're like, holy shit, I'm right. I'm here at my, at my place again. It's my, Yeah, it's see, my I, I had that moment when I had that moment of realization that I was back at Firelink. I just had this huge sigh of relief. I was like, oh, God. Like, I don't know. I just like felt safe, because even though Firelink is your safe haven, and my yeah, my, which one is of my... which that tees up like my favorite moment in the game. Okay, I, that's my favorite moment in the game too that I want to talk about. Are you talking about the Latrec thing? Yes, it's my okay. It's, it's the so, best part of the game, and I, wanna, I will I wanna, say I wanna, by the I way, set it up properly. In in her own subtle little way, I think Anastasia might be my favorite character in Dark Souls. But go for it, keep going. So when you're in the parish, you uh, come across a key that lets you into like the castle cells and you meet an NPC there. Who's this like knight in golden armor. Who's in prison there named Latrec. Mm-hmm. And he asks you, Hey, I'm in, I'm in prison here. Can you let me out? And like, you know, you find an NPC. So you do what you're going to do and you let him out. And he's like, he's cool. like I'll, I'll give you a gift later. I'll pay you. I'll pay you back later. And you go. And when you finally get that elevator back down to Firelink, you, after poking around for a minute, you find that he's kind of set up camp right outside the firekeeper who's keeping the bonfire going. And, and her deal is she, keeping it as the safe haven that it is, allowing you to heal and respawn there, just making it the safe area. She works the bellows down there, but she can't talk to you. And one of your other comrades there, the crestfallen knight, tells you that her tongue was cut out of her mouth. And it was probably yeah. done in whatever shitty backwater village she came from because she, who knows, maybe she said she... Maybe she enjoyed her food too much. Whatever he the fuck says, fucking... he says, they probably cut it out so she wouldn't take any god's name in vain. And then and he you, says and... one of my favorite lines of dialogue: "How do these martyrs keep chugging along? I'd pat her out in an instant." I love the crestfallen knight. He's he's, <laughs> he's really great. Good. He's great. And whenever you see her through her fucking, she's barred in there. Whenever you see yeah. her, and she's she's always fucking on her knees her head down and she won't respond to you and her job is to keep that fire burning she doesn't didn't you say that mouth. like you read something on her item description that heavily implied that her like legs were broken or something okay yeah there? so that you don't find that out until this thing happens so let's okay so let me thing. So, so you set up camp i mean so well trek sets up camp outside your firekeeper and he just hangs out for that couple areas he gives you some as thanks he gives you these sunlight medals which are only carried by like people in a certain covenant and he's clearly not in that covenant implying that he like killed them or came across them through some other nefarious means yeah he's a bad guy voice he's got a bad guy voice but he hangs out all throughout the first half of the game 
And then you go down to Blight Town, which is, like we said before, a really perilous, agonizing, downwards vertical climb. That to, ends like, with a really epic, like crazy big production boss fight. Yeah, it's just this woman who's half naked woman, half giant spider creature, and she um, lives in a in a giant dome of spider webs. It's very, it's very log. That it's very D and D. You can just it's, hear it's the dungeon good. master explaining it to you. Yeah, um, but you get through Blight Town, which is the biggest challenge so far, and a real nightmare of an ordeal. And then you have to climb back up, like to wherever you were going. You find an elevator, you go up. You climb, you climb through like three different areas, and then you finally find that you're on your way back to Firelink Shrine, and you're like, fucking great, at least I'm going to be home after all this shitty stuff I've been through. But when you finally get back up to Firelink Shrine, you find that somebody has killed your bonfire keeper. Oh, the bonfire's no. out. You can't heal. You can you can't no longer there. rest there. You can't and level Lutrec up is, there. And Lautrec is gone. He's not there anymore. And the last thing he said to you was, uh, was uh, well, I'm thinking of moving on to, to greener pastures. Like, this firekeeper has served me well, but she served her purpose. Yeah, so you go check out where she is. You find her bloody clothes, and you find, like, a an item that will allow you to, like, go into the world of whoever killed her. So eventually... To avenge her death. You, you track down the track, and you kill him, and you kind of get to, like... You know, reinstate order at your but it's a while shrine before it's a you, while before you get that shot. and it happens at the shifting point of the game too. Like, but also, you find all of her affects. You find her dingy hood and her shitty coat, and then you find her blood-soaked skirt. And when you read that, it said that it's it's like the faded blood from an old wound that she was like she was likely maimed to keep her from escaping. And you're just like, fuck. This lady lived a life of, of, of indentured servitude, unable to speak, unable to escape, keeping this fire burning for me, and now she's fucking dead because I let this guy out of his cell. Yeah, like, it's such a gr- it's the first NPC you meet out in the wild too, which I it's love. So it's grim, like, it's so grim. Her whole existence yeah. is so grim. And then, and then after you kill the track, you get the to best bring part. Her back to this life. is the best part. You and you're like, you, you bring her back to life, and her tongue is intact, and she can finally talk to you. And you're like, what's this woman gonna say after all this time? After all she's been through, I'm finally gonna find out her backstory. But it turns out she's like so deeply ashamed of being like potentially not worthy to be a bonfire she's fully brainwashed that she's like please don't talk to me i i might say something i might say something blasphemous i, I don't want to talk and I, that's my it. tongue was never supposed to come back <laughs> oh yeah. my god just leave me alone just leave me yeah. alone please All it's of so good else. she's my favorite character in the game it's so grim it's like what a what a fucking nightmare and and i really feel like because, you know, wherever she came from is probably where they did this shit to her before she became undead. I think it's the game's, like, biggest tip of the hand that the Age of Fire has been a nightmare for everyone. The living, yeah. the undead, the gods who started it. Like, nobody got out good in this fucking deal. Nobody got out good in this deal. Yeah, and the, the weird thing is that as cool as everything that I just described and Dylan helped me describe was... I cannot tell you the amount of people on like Dark Souls message boards I see telling people not to do this. Like, make sure you kill the Trek before he has a chance to kill your bonfire keeper. Like, 
Coming you want to have to, healing. You got to have your healing. That's the, it's literally <laughs> the most fun part of the game. It's like, my favorite moment of the game. Yeah. And it's I'm, so I'm already, good. I don't know I'm why already we... in line on the, I'm yeah. all, I, the die has been cast. I'm already like, I'm going to experience that at, at some great. point. You yeah. should. It's great. It's great that in service of the game's minimal story that it takes something so crucial from you and mm-hmm. makes you really genuinely, when you finally get like into the room where it's like, hey, that item that's supposed to let you avenge your firekeeper's death is reacting. You're like, well, fuck this guy. Like you're yeah. just so charged. Another great thing about that it asshole. is that uh, one of my other favorite things about it is that they give you like um, throughout the game, you find these firekeeper souls, and you can bring them back to the firekeeper. And you've never, you've to, never really thought about it. <laughs> to to boost your to boost your Estus flask, your recovery. Yeah, power. make your healing make your healing more powerful. And if you're exploring everything the way you should, you find one of those right before you're due to get back to Firelink Shrine from Blighttown. So you're like, sick. I'm not only do I get to go back to Firelink Shrine, when I get back there, I'm gonna crush this baby and celebrate with my all with my <laughs> hyped up Estus. But then you get back and like the whole place is a mess. And you're and you can't even cash it in because your lady's gone. <laughs> yeah. I really wish they had given the crestfallen knight some kind of dialogue about that because I feel like he'd have some interesting stuff to say about it. Me too. But he's you but know. by then he's 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 on his own. He's path. too preoccupied with the uh, serpent. But yeah, that I Really, really love everything about Blight Town. It's great. Going into it, coming back from it to find that whole scene, really good. I think that that run of the game, though, like Blight Town, back to Firelink, uh, into Sands, and then and then Anna Orlando. That's the that's the peak of the game. I think that's. I think that's one of my favorite stretches in a video game. It's very good. It's really very very good. Something I wanted to draw a parallel before because we are a Nintendo podcast. coming back to Firelink to find it all a mess is like something that I don't think I've experienced so potently in video games since that great part of uh, Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Where you like a, when you jump go, forward, when you wake up in uh, Hyrule Castle Town and instead of everybody having a great time, it's just a bunch of those undead. It's just zombies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something Still very, there's something favorites. very, there's something very future Hyrule about Lordran in general, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that as 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 well. I do want to just like mention Anna Orlando though for uh, just kind of the shock of contrast that it gives you at that moment. Oh yeah, and absolutely. This is a big touching point. The only the only thing that I dislike about it. Um, well, why don't you talk about what the contrast is first? Okay, so up until that point, uh, the game feels and looks a lot like it's felt and looked for you so far, Bran, where it's like. You know, just endless, waiting for shit. It's awful. yeah, just endless, it's all like terrible crypts and swamps and bogs and poison. yeah. It's very, it's very like brown and gray and like touches of green and just like and like Firelink has a piece to it, but you know it's ruins and whatnot. Uh-huh. And and but then you get then you to get this... through Sen's fortress and you get picked up by these little impish demons and they fly you to the city of the gods, which is like quite different. Which you 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 are immediately granted with this huge vista of this, like, I would call it, like, middle middle 1000s architecture of, like... It's based on... You know, the, the main cathedral of Orlando is based on some, like, old Italian cathedral. I can't remember what one right now, but... And it's just, like, gorgeous, pristine marble pillars. The, the sun is kind of at 
mid-afternoon to early evening in the sky, and it's lit warmly orange and like... And there are no zombies around. All the enemies even are like these kind of like pristine suits of armor that will attack you. Yeah, and like, and it's just like, if you look off to the right away from the area that you're exploring, you see this whole city that stretches out in front of you and like... Suddenly you're out of fucking D and D dungeon crawling, and you're you're just in this amazing. You're in Skyrim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's this. It's such a cool moment. The only thing that sucks is that I hate that you see that vista in the cutscene with the with the imps. I wish that they gave you, the player, the experience of like walking out of a room into that, so that you yeah. could be in charge of your movement when it happens because the game is usually great about that. The game is they, usually... I, I think they completely have addressed that by the time they get to Dark Souls 3, if not Bloodborne. Sure. and But the, but, the, but the, it is, since it's one of the most like breathtaking moments of contrast, Like it would have been that extra little 10% more powerful mm-hmm. I feel if yeah. you got to wander into that yourself, you know? But anyhow... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Anna Rolando, really great. And I know and what you're when, saying because there are some distinct moments in the later games that are exactly like that. So yeah, seeing Anna Rolando the first time like there's that one in this. I, I would I would argue that that the that the last area of the game in this gives you that that buzz too. Anyway, sure. um, the and then of course everybody likes the boss in in Anna Rolando, and I do too. It's or not Steven they they Smith. don't rank to my very top, but I do like it. They're tough. They're tough. Brandon, you haven't gotten to them yet, but they're once you get through Anna Rolando, you get to like the two surviving knights of the kingdom who are the, like this uh this little dude in like lion armor named Ornstein and he fights okay. with a with a big lightning spear and this titanic like obese knight with like some kind of like unsettling like facial features and armor with a giant hammer named Smo and they and you have to fight both of them at once and it's a significant step up from anything you've been required to do in the past. It's really brutal, and I know you're already using summons on your boss fights, Brandon. Uh, this but, is the part I... of the game where they explicitly go, "Hey, it's okay to summon. In fact, maybe you should for this one." Mm-hmm. You totally, you totally can, and you should. I will say though, with humanity being a, a finite resource, I would recommend doing what I did, which is like get yourself to the point where you know them well enough to kill one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. So that you at least like, you at least don't fumble the catch when your summon gets you to that part of the the fight. You know, for sure, like, for sure, yeah. But but it, it is a fun it is a fun fight. It's a cool memorable. It's fight. really and a, it, there's a a really fun aspect about it because uh, halfway through, after you kill one of them, you get a cutscene, and it changes depending on which one you kill first. Dylan, did you get both of them? Yeah, I, I eventually. Uh, I, I found Super Smo much easier to deal with than than the Omega other one. Omega Ornstein. So. Yeah. But yeah, I, I did do both of them. It's pretty funny. But yeah, if you kill if you kill Ornstein first, now if you kill Smo first, he topples over and Ornstein kind of lays a hand on him respectfully, like giving like a moment of peace for his fallen comrade, and then absorbs his energy. But if you kill Ornstein first, Smo just kind of looks at him and he just smashes him with his hammer and absorbs his <laughs> his energy. Pretty good. It's pretty good. So you get you get the good. you get a little bit of uh you get a little bit of insight into their dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh they they are they are a, a fun boss, but can we talk about our personal can we give like our personal top three? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go for Let it. Let me think of mine. I know my number one, like right off the bat. It might be the same as mine. What is yours? 
Oh, we, we need to build up to it. What's your number three? Okay, so my number three is Sif. Okay, Sif is really good. Sif he's is not really hard. Good. He's not. He's not like a particularly I think it's, mechanically. I think it's a she. Sorry, she's not a particularly mechanically uh, that interesting or, or difficult, but she is uh, like the most badass fourth graders drawing come yeah. to life. <laughs> let's say let's say what Sif is like in the, in the second half of the game. You have I to love go, that description. In the second half of the game, you have to uh, go kill the four kings as one of the bosses. Okay. But they reside in this area called the Abyss. which Where is you'll like insta-death if you go there. Where you will you can't walk in the Abyss. It's just not a thing. Except one knight in the past has managed to do it. His name was Artorias, the Abyss Walker. He was Gwyn's best knight. He would always like fight the Abyss and stuff. And so the game tells you, hey, if you can learn from Artorias, you can maybe walk the Abyss. So why don't you go find his grave? And you go find Artorias' grave, and it's... You, you find his giant sword, and it's being guarded by his old companion, Sif, who is a gigantic, like, wolf dog. Yeah, he looks a little bit like a Shiba Inu and a little bit like a wolf. He's a yeah. he's a big, fluffy dog. But you yeah. don't just fight him. You fight him <laughs> while he swings at you with a giant knight sword that he has in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, she picks up Artorius' sword and fights you with it. It's really, really good. It's really fun, and he's it's really fun well... until it's fun until the end when it gets like sad. Yeah, he's he's very well animated, and he conveys a lot of personality, especially when you get him into the the last of his health, and he just starts stumbling at you like this wounded animal. And oh, I don't even know no. if can he hit yeah. you at that point. She, I think she can. She she limps around, and if she tries to do her spin attack, she will she fall over, over on her side and start writhing on the ground. It's really like I might start crying if we talk too much about Sif. And I want to talk a lot about Sif. Sif's great. And so Sif's is Artorias. Uh, yeah, we'll so that's my number three. What's your number three? Uh, my number three. I need to think about it for a quick second. Um, God, I want to say like all the all the DLC bosses, honestly. Like, that's the thing. My number, number one is one particular DLC boss, but I feel like they all deserve special commendation. They're really... The whole, like, can we talk about the DLC just as a whole? I really Can we get it. to it when we get to our number one? Pick it. Pick a number sure. two from the game, and then let's launch into uh, the DLC. Ornstein and Smell. I really I think, like them. Honestly, I think more... Not so much for the design or the mechanics of it, but just for the satisfying feeling I got when I when I thought my way through the problem was probably the Bell Gargoyle for me. But anyhow, um, yeah, I think my number one's Artorias. I don't know. My number one is also Artorias. Really good. This part of the game wasn't included in the original because they didn't have time to finish it, but I guess they still mm-hmm. wanted to, like, finish it, and I can see why, because it's, like, some of the best shit in a video game, honestly. It's very good. It's very good. You spend the entire main game hearing about Knight Artorias and how he did battle against the Abyss and how he, like, you, you meet this character uh, from the past named Princess Dusk, and she talks about how her country was ravaged by the Abyss, and Artorias saved her. There's and also in Anne Orlando, one of the item drops you get, I think from Ornstein Smoke, makes explicit mention that uh, Lord Gwyn had four knights. Four knights, And that yep. they were like his... Ornstein know. is one of them, but he's the only one in the main game. You don't meet the other three until you go to the DLC. And right. you go to the DLC by getting a certain pendant from uh, drops from a certain item, uh, a certain pendant that drops from a certain enemy later in the game. And if you take that to a certain place, a portal in time will open up and you'll get grabbed by this giant hand that pulls you in. And that takes you to Ulisile, which is where the 
DLC takes place. And I have a theory about the about Manus who grabs you and why he does. But continue. Um, yeah, you can say the Manus stuff for later, I guess, when we get to him. Uh, sure. But I, I definitely want to hear that. Don't get me wrong. Um, so you get to Ulisile and you uh, meet a talking mushroom who's basically like your firekeeper, kind of like the equivalent, at least. Yeah, you, you meet like, Toad. You meet Toad in yeah. In everybody Prince likes to Castle. everybody likes to joke that the DLC <laughs> has you saving a princess of the Mushroom Kingdom, which is yeah. very good. Um, at another point, you go you access a hidden world by going through a painting. So there are tons of Mario references. Definitely, For, but the first the first thing that happens to you when you get to DLC land, like you have this little bonfire and you make it, you kindle it or whatever. Oh yeah, and then you get jumped by a fucking chimera. And and he's instantly so much more aggressive than anything you fought so far. Like the yeah. downtime between his attacks is much much less, and all of his attacks are super comboy or super acrobatic. And he's like totally you can totally deal with him, but instantly the DLC kind of like tips you tips its hat to you that like you know shit's on here, shit is on here. Yeah, uh, this is he's late game content. Okay. I would say I would say that like dealing with this guy is not he wouldn't rank in like my hardest bosses or whatever but but he but the game is like in its he dark souls way he sends his message regardless yeah exactly the game is in its dark souls way telling you some things with with yeah. the way that that fight goes you know so then you meet the mushroom and she's like hey what's up you're clearly from the future uh, shit's running wild here with the abyss it's going crazy Art- Artorius shows up and he tried to stop it but he he got fucked. And we're in big trouble. Maybe you could help out. Which doesn't jive with everything you've heard about Arturius before. Mm-hmm. Everything you know about him is that he's this like great hero who this amazing was able hero, to the only the one abyss. who could get. Yeah, he was able to. He 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 stared the abyss down and it cowered or whatever. But when you find when you get a little deeper into the DLC into Ulisile, you find Arturius and he's been like taken by the abyss or is in the final stages of being taken by the abyss i like how beforehand you meet this npc who's like oh have you met artorius yet he's like yeah i don't like him he's a colorless sword (laughs) (laughs) you're like what does that mean then you stumble into his arena and he's like brutalizing some like basic enemies he throws a body at you his arm is broken and just kind of dangling there but he doesn't notice and then he attacks you like a feral demon and it's and he's dripping with this like awful purple abyss grossness and it's the Uh, best fight against anyone in any game i've ever played i think it's it's the i would call it the hardest fight in the game because i feel like i feel like the ornstein smo fight is hard in a different way but this is hard in the like in the dark souls way where like the only way you're gonna beat this guy is if you learn this fucking guy you got it's but it's it's more fair than the it's a more fair challenge than the Ornstein's moment. Cause exactly. it's two on one. It's just you and this, you and Ortorius and it's, it's really fucking good. And it's implied that like, you're, you're seeing this guy far away from his finest mo- hour. Like he's a yeah. mindless zombie of the void. Now one of his arms is broken and the, and the kind of like, you know, the read between the lines thing is like, if it was UV Artorius back in the glory days, it would just be, you could never, you would yeah, never if he, be. If he had his second arm, you'd be done. It's but, so uh, good. It's so good. It's, it's so such a fun good. fight. And it's, and it's like a perfectly minimalist arena. And like, and I love the fairness of like this one thing he does where he like 
does this little area of uh, of his buff effect thing that buffs him and like yeah. will hurt you if you're super close to it. But really, it's like the breath that that fight gives you. You know. Yeah, like that, and you can interrupt it. You can punish him for doing it, but I never felt comfortable enough to get close to do it. You could also shoot him with an arrow if you really want to be yeah. fancy. Uh, yeah. But but it's it's just such a good moment because like most of that fight is just like fuck 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 fuck, and then he just like he does, does this little flipping attack that he can do like four times in a row. And yeah, sometimes he does it, it once, and sometimes he does it four times in a row. <laughs> yes, yeah. but it's it's really good, and it's a really that, fun fight. Something that makes me cry my fucking eyes out is he's got a very, very similar moveset to fucking Sif. Yeah, like a lot exactly of his moves the are the same as his dogs in it's, this, like, really interesting way that you realize that, like, you know, that dog, you know, traveled alongside that warrior his whole life. Everything mm-hmm. he knows about using that sword, he learned from his master. But, like, now shit's really on because it's much faster and he hits way harder. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah. But eventually you're able to overcome Artorias. You make your way deeper into Ulusile. You meet the other uh you meet the other two Gwyn's knights that you haven't met. Uh one of whom is this uh female knight named Kieran, who's kind of like a rogue. Um she asks you for Artorias' soul, uh just so she can mourn him. And there's no good reason to give it to her, so you should just kill her. But that's a very good fight too. But if you do you... give it to her, which I did, uh she gives you some daggers. Uh, yeah, but she also drops change. those if you kill her. She still does, so you get an extra set. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but then you can't anyhow, use Artorias. But then you can't use Artorias's soul to get his sword from the giant no. blacksmith in Orlando. So right. You know. But you also meet um, the archer of the gang, Hawkeye Go or Hawkeye. He's Goth. so good. <laughs> he's so good. He's just he's this great. archer who thinks he's blind because he has resin in his helmet. So really, he I didn't know of, that. Yeah, you gotta really look at. You gotta kill him and get his armor. Oh, him. I refuse to kill him. I killed, oh, I would never I, do it. I killed I would, her, but I I didn't want to kill Hawkeye. I like him too much. Apparently, it's a really good fight, but I just couldn't because his all of his dialogue is so good. That stuff about when he's talking about fighting the dragons and he's like, "They brought everything out of us: adrenaline, hatred, joy." Envy. That was just how it was when we were fighting the dragons. It's like oh, so good. It's just really and especially because like especially because like here's your impression of everybody else of the other the other three knights. So Ornstein is part of like the game's most punishing fight, and Artorius is like this epic, brainless, you know, brilliant knight who's like on whatever he was like before. That's gone now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's that lady who grieves you. When you attack her, she's like, you cursed humans, you're all like this, right? So you're yeah. like, all right, well, fuck you. Uh, but then you <laughs> you make your way up to Hawkeye, and he's just like, I think he's the nicest NPC in the fucking game. Because he's chilled out. He yeah, just he's wants super to carve, chill. He just wants to carve his wooden little sigils or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and he there's a really you... badass scene of him shooting a dragon out oh, of the Oh, it's so air. good. So it's there's so two... Good. There's, there's two unavoidable deaths in the game. Both of the hands of these dragons. Uh, okay. Oh, you don't need to. You don't need to die at the. You don't need to die at either of them. But I mean, it's a common thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, they feel like scripted deaths at least. Yeah. Like the game expects you to die. That uh, second dragon is so good, though. The first. Time I love I that saw fight. Him, it's so good. It's the so first good. time I saw him, like, uh, I was running around that big wooded area. Like fighting those like scarecrow kind of guys, and, and he like, just looks at you. He lands on this bridge, and he just he looks lands at you. on the bridge, and like he looks at you, and you look at him, 
And like, then you look at back at the enemies you're fighting because they're still coming at you. And then you look at the dragon and he's still looking at you and you're like, what the fuck do I do here? And then the dragon <laughs> flies off. And it's just a really intense exchange. It's so different from when the Hellkite uh, Drake lands in the Undead Bird because he, yeah, he doesn't you, even you notice share him. a moment. But you share a moment with this one. His name is You guys gaze Calum, meaningfully like... into each other's eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's like the end of uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox when he finds the wolf. Yeah. yeah and they both yeah. they both hold their fists up. Yeah. yeah. But like uh, uh, I, I love I love how the giant how Hawkeye Go talks about him too. He's like, Oh, that's Calamy. It's like they're neighbors or something. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and he like he wounds it for you and then you can finally fight it, like after it's killed you this. But like then when you come back, he just sort of like he calls you the legendary human and talks about like, you know, like uh, how impressed he is with you and how it. Uh, I don't know. He's just a cool guy. I like that dude. I would never attack him. No. But then after that, you go deeper into Ulisile and you see how it's been kind of ravaged by the abyss, mm-hmm. and you get a lot of context clues saying like, "Oh, Ulisile did this to themselves when they listened to that serpent who is telling them to, you know, usher in the new dark age." And they dug up, like, the primordial man and really pissed him off. And now he's a giant evil creature who you meet called Manus. And it's pretty heavily implied that it's the furtive pygmy that picks up the Dark Soul in the opening cutscene. Uh, because the all the other beings that find the Lord Soul are in the game. You got Gwyn, you got Nido, which of Izalith becomes the Bed of Chaos. Uh, but you never really find out what happens to the pygmy. So everybody kind of latched on the theory that he turns into this horrible creature at the heart of Ulisile when everything is really going to shit. I have and a different kind of, theory. I have a different theory. We got to work our way he, there though. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> you, you, you work your way down through Ulisile township and it's like the, the, the city, it's like really fucked up. There are like some of the most unsettling low level enemies in the game that are just really tough. And they're really, and the fact that you're in this kind of be around the thing, the fact that you spend a lot of it in this kind of like, large sprawling wooden mansion really makes it feel like an intentional resident evil nod to me because there are these mm-hmm. uh these kind of fucked up many eyed uh former townspeople who've been infected with something uh mm-hmm. that feel very resident evil for to me and you're in this like very much like the original resident evil big sprawling mansion where they're attacking you so it, fe- it feels very i don't know it felt like a nod to me in a way and this cool. is the area where i spent the most time considering what i would do if given the choice this game poses to you you know would you end the age of fire as fucked up as it's been knowing that this is what you have to go through in order to get to something that could potentially be better it's just a real bad scene whatever's going on in Ulisile. definitely yeah. And also really compelling is when you you know the humanity items brand? Yes. Okay, yes, it- so they you you can kind of picture them they're this sort of yonic uh darkness surrounded by some like mm-hmm. edges of light. Uh you encounter these enemies down there that are just these giant <laughs> humanities with eyes that kind of Do you know what they look like? Remember in the very first Pokemon game how you would uh Oh, when the, you don't uh, have the, the self ghost scope. tower and you don't oh, have the self scope, yeah, they look like that, and it's oh, actually shit. kind of funny. Yeah, it is kind of funny, but then also they just like mindlessly like come onto you and consume you. Like they don't have yeah. an animation; they just run into your body. Your controller vibrates, and your health starts draining really fast. And right? you oh, you go God. down into the abyss, and you're seriously just surrounded by them. There are oceans of them. 
And here's the deal that so the Abyss brand, when you get there, that place that kills you instantly, it's just mm -hmm. this black void. There's nothing there. You wander through it and there's there's nothing to see. It's an endless black void. And the fact that the Abyss has infected this place and down in the depths are these giant humanities. And when you read the humanity item description, it says something about like, we know that humans have souls, but what is the true nature of this humanity? Like what makes them so different? Right. Yeah. It poses this weird philosophical question to you. It almost to me feels like the game is cueing you that, that the dark soul or whatever it was that made humans is some some organized version of the consumption energy of the abyss. Like, what makes us human is this fucking void inside of us that makes us want and feed and, like... I don't know, I think it's very interesting. Anyhow, you work your way down through this cave and then you fight this big, mean motherfucker. <laughs> well, before we get to him, I want to talk about the little side thing you could do because you know this is set in the past yeah you, you find the four knights of artorias this would have been so missable and i and it's kind i of know i'm so, i'm so i'm really bummed that it's very missable but i like how the game guides you to it um with like a little uh, ghost thing yeah you meet this weird cheshire cat-esque character that you meet earlier in the game and she kind of directs you where to go wordlessly i wish there was a little dialogue or something but if you find this little alcove you find a bunch of these humanity creatures all swarming around like Sif when she's a puppy. Oh, being wow. Being protected by Artorius's shield. So clearly Artorius made his way down here with Sif. They fought Manus. Manus fucked up Artorius. And as they were fleeing, Artorius had to leave his shield with Sif to protect her. And you can... And, and you can been trapped. Yeah, and you can fight off the, the humanity creatures around her and save Sif. At which point she'll show up to help you against like what is really the final boss of the game, Manus. And so it's right. you and Sif as a puppy fighting this real messed up motherfucker. Okay, so and also if you if you meet Sif, you also get uh, we'll talk about a little we'll, bonus. But but yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that too. So you fight Manus, right? And All right. He's he's big. He's a big chaos monster and he looks kind of like an overgrown version of the infected townspeople that you've been seeing um, okay he's, he's like super aggressive all, he's the source of the abyss really he's super aggressive like one of his combos is just endless uh and he can cast spells he has like a really fucked up catalyst that he waves around and shoots darkness at you which you can repel if you found this optional item that is hidden behind a really oblique like fake wall that you can't oh, I I had that I had the you... I had the right item item on me, and I felt like the clue was good enough. I figured it out anyway. Oh yeah, me too. But the fact that there had to be a developer message there—they never do that shit. There's yeah, there's but no it was other, so kind of there's right. no other wall in the game where they're like, hey, try hitting it with your sword. But they left one here because they know. Right. Why would you ever... You, you need an item that generates light to see through this wall. And why would you ever pull it out there? You wouldn't. Never. Yeah. Never. So in any in any case, you fight this guy. He's tough. You you get past him. And then uh, the the lady who got you on Dust, this path the path in the first place. She pops yeah, out. She, Except she's like traumatized and in shock and can't really interact with you. So she never sees you. She thinks... That it was Artorius who saved her. Okay. Yeah. And if you and talk to the she'll mushroom... Say to you, she'll say to you if you find her back in Lordran afterwards, she's like, oh, you have the same exact humors of the knight Artorius who once saved me. There's something very similar about the two of you. Right. Yeah. And also, if you talk to the mushroom guy, 
he he met or is it lady? I can't remember. Male or it's female. a woman. Yeah, female yeah. mushroom. Uh, she explains that that the reason you were brought through the time rift was because you had that broken pendant, and Manus really wanted that pendant back. <laughs> He's been searching for, for it. Yeah, it's like the only thing important to him. So he reached out through the time stream and he grabbed you. And this brings me to my theory about what happened here. Okay. Uh, I think a long time ago, the furtive pygmy was down there. Um, and another chosen undead made it to him through some other time tripping means, but it was a one way door. Uh -huh. And, uh, and he bested him, but then was just stuck down there forever, you know? Yeah. And slowly took on those characteristics. But here's the thing, Trevor. One of the gifts that you can get at the beginning of the game when you're building your character is useless. Yeah. It's this pendant. I think maybe you get something if you give it to a crow. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just like the item description is like, this is a pendant. It's a very personal item, and it means a lot to the travelers who have it with them. So it's the game's kind of just telling you, like, this one's for role-playing only. Like, give give your character a reason to care about this pendant and carry it with you. I don't you. remember that. I remember the witch's ring, which tells you it has no discernible use. There's this pendant that says it's very important to travelers okay. who take it with them. So I think that Manus is just a player who's role-playing really hard. Right, he you kind chose, of told me about that. He chose the pendant at the beginning of the game. He fucking lost it, and he's stuck at the bottom of the pit of the abyss, and he's role-playing so hard that he <laughs> reached out through the time tunnel to bring it back to himself because it's fucking, it's his goddess gift. He got that sure. shit. That's funny. I prefer to think of it as the furtive pingman because I really like the DLC as some kind of like almost like post game thing, mm -hmm. finally adding in that fourth Lord that you never really do get in the actual game. I think sure. it's like, it's a shame that the DLC isn't the actual end of the game and that you still go fight Gwyn. I wish it was almost like arranged in such a way where that was at the end, but then that would mess up the Sif thing. Let's talk about the Sif thing because when you go fight Sif, like your first time around, you haven't done the DLC, you haven't met her in the past yet. Uh, you approach the grave, and she gets pissed off that somebody is trying to grave rob Artorias, and she picks yeah. up the sword and growls at you. But if you go there after you do the DLC, which you can, you can wait to get the Abyss Ring and do the Four Kings until the very end of the game. You do the DLC first, you save Sif, then you go to Artorias' grave in the present. You get a different cutscene where instead of just picking up the sword, she kind of advances on you, and you fall to the ground, and you're scooting away from her, and she's sniffing you. And then she realizes who you are and she gets this very forlorn look on her face and howls at the moon and realizes like, okay, I gotta either I kill this person that like saved me and helped me defeat Manus in the past or risk letting them get Artorias's ring and traverse the abyss. And maybe the same thing that happened to Artorias will happen to them. Right. So because what the game a eventually, if you think about it, is telling you is that what Sif did when Sif gained Sif's freedom mm -hmm. was to get f fucking strong and buff and powerful and devote its life essentially to making sure that what happened to the township uh, in the DLC never what happened, happened to guess. Yeah. It's like you, you originally think that Sif is just there to prevent you to protect Artorias' grave, but really Sif is She doesn't want you to get you. that fucking ring to go to the abyss and potentially yeah. start this shit over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's, it's very good. It makes me very emotional. 
It's very good. It's very good. But also yeah, it, completely it, it, missable. You don't need to know any of that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it makes me really excited to like kind of go through and kind of experience all that because I feel like I, I mean, I still have a ways to go to get to that point. But I don't, I don't know. It sounds fucking awesome. Like I love D and D, so this this shit's like right up my alley. It really oh, is there's like such a D and D moment too. That's like dream. one of my favorite things in the whole game is the fucking D and D party that you have to fight. <laughs> That's very good. You you go on your way to Artorias's grave. You're going through a heavily wooded area, and you're ambushed by a like a small group of NPCs. There's mm-hmm. like I think there's a knight, there's an archer, there's a cleric, there's a sorcerer, there's a thief, there's a thief and there's a warrior who can like one shot you pretty late into the game with his giant axe. And it's it's yeah, it's a classic D and D group. And the, my favorite thing about that is that makes you like the random encounter or the boss that they're fighting. <laughs> the boss that they're fighting. Yes, yeah, so good. Love it. Yeah. Love it. The whole game is really just a great setup to D&D, I think. I actually first got it because I had uh, gotten into the Adventure Zone, the McElroy's D&D podcast. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to play some D&D. But I didn't actually want to play D&D because it's like a whole complex thing that you need other and there's so much so math like, and there's so much sitting around usually yeah so i'll just get dark souls and i'll roll around and die a lot and <laughs> i've been doing it ever since and they have mimics in there they got all the D D shit in there it's it's, it's like playing a, it's like playing a game of D, except your dungeon master only wants you to know 40 percent of what's going on yeah <laughs> yeah and he wants you to constantly re-roll your character and kill you yeah. off yeah <laughs> so um, there's, there is one gameplay aspect that I want to talk about that absolutely, like, I cannot stand. Uh, and then until recently, Trevor, like, told me a way to remedy that. And it is the, uh, the PvP aspect of it. Um, I, I think one thing that kind of turned me off from the game initially, too, was the fact that, um, I had it on where the online was on. And, uh, I would get my humanity back, and I was trying to summon Solaire to go fight the, uh, the the bell gargoyles and every time i'd get my humanity back some motherfucker would invade would grief you he yeah. would yeah, yeah he would invade my world and just kill the shit out of me and it just it pissed me off so much i hate i hate this i hate this aspect of the game i do not find it enjoyable at all i don't know how you guys feel about it but it's not it's not fun for me at all There's i think things i like and things that i dislike about the social There's i think i'm in the minority like here just like I think I'm in the minority, but I've never played Dark Souls online. I've just never done it because I don't want to. I did on I and off. That. Sometimes I did every, it off, sometimes every I did it on. One big part of the online play that a lot of people like is players' ability to leave messages for each other mm-hmm. in-game using a kind of messaging system. And sometimes you get funny ones of those, but I really don't feel like I've missed anything. If I Great want chest to ahead. Yeah, great chest again. Try Great chest ahead. Try using two hands. It's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like if I want to get into the PvP, which I may someday, I'll explore it. But I don't want to. Dark Souls for me is such a tight one player experience. I don't want to risk anybody kind of barging in while I'm trying to enjoy that. Yeah, there's it... things there's things that I do think are interesting about it, and there's things that I that I don't like. But in general, if I was gonna wander anywhere, I didn't. I tended to not summon Bran, and that's actually. One of the interesting things about the game is how it does kind of have difficulty settings, but yeah. 
you, it, it gives you it, things that you can do to make it easier for yourself. It leaves it in your lap. So, like, for example, I would sometimes kindle my bonfires up to, like, 15 Estes, and that's my decision to play on a less difficult version of the game, right? Yeah. Uh, but I also generally wouldn't summon because I figured I can probably do this, right? And Yeah, the only the and, only boss I summon for nowadays is Ornstein and Smo because I feel like it's almost canon that the player character summons for that fight. You but I, I mean? feel like there's yeah. no shame in any of it. I think what you should try to do is just find your sweet spot where you feel like the game mm-hmm. is giving you enough resistance, but, yeah. you know... The first playthrough of any Souls game, I always try and do all the bosses by myself. I try and do that for my first playthrough. And then afterwards, I decide which ones I had a fun time learning how to do and which times I had a fun time fighting, which times I didn't. And I'll Mm -hmm. usually summon for those second ones. With Dark Souls, the only one I really summon for, though, is Ornstein and Smo. All the other ones are ones I can make it through pretty competently by myself. Okay. But but here's here's the funny thing to me about PvP is, like, the... Kind of like, you know how after you beat a boss in Dark Souls, it's a rewarding thing to kind of ponder that boss's existence? Yes. Mm-hmm. And like, what what was its life leading up to that moment when you fought it? And why was it there? And oftentimes the item it drops gives you a little bit more context about that. Or like, you'll find an item later that does. Anyway, similarly, one of the most like, quote unquote, popular places for PvP is that bonfire uh, in the Undead Berg. Mm-hmm. Like, the first the first one you get to outside of Firelink. Because I think they can't go to Firelink, right? Right. You can't get ambushed in Firelink by an intruder. Anyway. Nope. The game that people run there is... So the game auto-matches you with people who are around your level, right? Yeah. So it'll match you with somebody who's at level, whatever, 8 or 9 or 10 or whatever when you get there. But the, the scam that the people run is that they get real good at Dark Souls and then they get real deep into the game at a low level so then they can get super crazy, like, weapons and and uh, wearables and shit. Yeah. Uh, and then they ambush you with shit that you can't do anything against, right? They just gank you. Yeah. And just fun. gank you. Which is, fun. which, it's not fun, but it's similar to fighting a Dark Souls boss when you then have to ponder their existence, where you're like, yeah, sure. you got really good at this game so that you could, mm-hmm. so that you could grief low-level players for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's something that I kind of like about it, and I like the fact that there's no fucking headset, and you can't, like... You have very limited ability to communicate mm-hmm. with each other. There's stuff I like about it, but I agree that in general it's it's better to play with online. And off. people do really fun stuff with the PvP too. Like there was one story that goes around the fandom. This guy who used to play as like the uh, fashion souls police, and what he'll do is he would like leave a like summon sign somewhere where people could find it, and if you summoned him into your world, he would just kind of look at your character and how you were like equipped. And he would, like, think of an item that would look cooler with your current stuff. And he would drop that item. And then he would, like, teleport out of your world. And that was it. That was the <laughs> that, that's cool. I, I really that's like that. Yeah. That's and, yeah, awesome. those Very are the fun. people that you got to wonder, like, what's their story? Exactly, yeah. I like but it. My, I like it. The, the multiplayer aspect of Dark Souls that I really enjoy, I mean, it was one of my favorite things about the game, 
is the whole community surrounding it and mm-hmm. how integral that is to experiencing the game, I think. Yeah. Like, Dylan, you talked a lot about how I kind of walked you through the entire thing. And mm-hmm. that's like a big part of Dark Souls. It's learning because the game is so obtuse. Obtuse and so hesitant to tell you anything about it. It's about going to like message boards and finding people you know who play the game and asking them like what to do and like I, I there's all these little secrets that get passed around the fandom mm-hmm. like that trick where you get under the bridge and shoot the drake's tail with your bow and eventually you'll get a sword from doing that that's who was the first person to think to do that it's not in the yes, game it's just something that's been you get, passed around and around and you around. get the sense that that if Miyazaki had his way, he would have taken the internet away so that you would have had to have had those conversations on the fucking play yard. Like, yeah. And that that's har- what that I like so back. much about it. It, it harkens back to like conversations I remember having with like other 10 year olds about like hidden stuff in Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Like if you, no, I remember dude, it makes you, me think of like, listen, listen, you start, you start a save file. You have to beat Ganon 15 times okay yeah and then you start a second save file and you have to call it link and then you go into the the spirit temple and you get the triforce (laughs) then you get the triforce and then you take it and you uh you don't use your ssan ticket instead you wait till you get cut somewhere else and then you cut the thing down then you surf behind it and you find a truck yeah and then muse there muse there muse under the truck And it's like all those fake things that you remember, like... They're all in Dark Souls. (laughs) Yeah, they're all real. It's like, yeah, if you go here to this one area that you never would have thought to go back to, you find this character and they sell you a super powerful weapon that you can use to beat this guy easy. It's like, it's... it was. I think it was a real gambit they took. Like, almost... Like, having the foresight to see that kind of community popping up around it to, Mm -hmm. like, illuminate all that stuff. And if that like hadn't happened, Dark Souls would have been a really different experience. It, the whole thing was a gambit. The yeah. whole thing was a gambit because they they clearly they just like there must have been a version of the design document where they were having these conversations about what's the what's the least amount we can tell the player and get away with mm-hmm. this, you know? Like they they they're so comfortable with the idea that you might quit Dark Souls and never come back. And yeah. and they're they're willing and ready to let you never experience a lot of what they've made mm-hmm. uh, for the service of this, like, overriding design philosophy that's very interesting and very rewarding when you decide to go, you know, when you, when you go all in. Yeah. Um, but, like, one of the most satisfying moments of that game for me was finding the Great Hollow. Uh, yeah, that was... I. The Great Hollow was something that I knew existed in the game, but I didn't know how to get there. And when I stumbled upon it, it was like, wow, I can't believe I just walked into this. I had no idea. And and it's this it's this wild moment where like You go down in Blighttown, it's in the yeah. swamp of Blighttown, and you find this big tree. And the farthest the point the farthest point you can wander from your bonfire in in the Blighttown swamp that you can see from anywhere in the Blight Blighttown swamp is this enormous tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go up its branches and vines and inside of it until it's like a shitty item drop. Yeah, it's got like a really bad item in it. And you're like, <laughs> wow, I came all that way for nothing. Thanks, Dark Souls. But But if, if you're you Dylan hit, Flynn, you also you like the to hit your behind walls. the chest, <laughs> you can go th- a little further until you find another I think it's, item drop. Yeah, it's like a big soul or something. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, but wow. then, I mean, you still, that's, that's not bad. 
That's not a bad yeah, idea. Yeah, but it's, it's sure. not worth hiding it behind a wall. So True. because you realize that, <laughs> you hit the other wall. <laughs> a and that second. Takes you even <laughs> deeper into this incredibly challenging. Into a new area. Into yeah. a new level of the game. And so, like, the, the, the buzz I got when I fucking hit my second illusory wall in a mm-hmm. row and, like, it was like, welcome to the Great Hollow. And, like, by the way, I died within, like, five minutes of being in there. There's like a the bonfire Great Hollow, right the up Great, front. The, the shame about the Great Hollow and the area connects to Ash Lake is that they kind of suck. They're great to find, but they're not fun areas. But they're but they're the ultimate version of finding you behind that truck, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. It's like <laughs> two levels, two levels and a boss fight and like a giant dragon you can be friends with that you'll only find if like that kid on the schoolyard tells you to go fucking knock mm-hmm. on that wall. Very, very <laughs> yeah. cool. Very cool. It also, it's also one of my favorite examples of bonfires because, like, I found it before, like, uh, for the first half of the game, you have to walk from bonfire to bonfire. In the second mm-hmm. half, There's no fast travel between yet, yeah. them. But in the first one, you have to, like, just walk. And whenever you die, you go to the last bonfire you were at. Yep. And so once you get to the Great Hollow, it gives you a bonfire right when you reach it at the top of the Great Hollow. But then you have to plummet and travel down layers and layers to reach the next area, Ash Lake, which is a real perilous climb down through some of the There's worst still, enemies and in the I game. fucked around, by the way, I fucked around in, in the Great Hollow, that big tree, for like two hours just trying to see where I could get, and there's still a bunch of items there that I have no clue how to get to. It's like yeah. such a woven vertical space. One of the worst things cool. about the Great Hollow is that they put some enemies there that can curse you, and curse is a really horrible dynamic in the first game because it, until you go to a special NPC that can cure it, it permanently mm-hmm. halves your HP. Oh, so that's shit. a real nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, you can mitigate it. There's ways to mitigate it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, by that time in the game, I had uh, some some. First of all, the the full set of your killed firekeeper, her Anastasia's set has a ton of curse resistance. That's um, good. That's good. And then also every humanity that you have, like every every number up on that scale that you have, yeah. uh, like makes that bar longer and longer. So if you if you're willing to like burn ten humanity and put that set on, like it takes ages. That's good. ages for those things to curse you. The thing so, is that like I haven't gotten cursed since my first playthrough, just because I know what a detriment it is. I've just been super careful. Yeah, this yeah, is a bad yeah. thing if you're new, but if you're like uh, if you're in your second or third playthrough, you're usually good enough by then to avoid it. Mm-hmm. But you go down, down, down through the Great Hollow, and eventually you get to another bonfire, and you're like left with the choice, like, okay, if I die down here. I'll be back up at the at the top of the Great Hollow, and I can just leave if I want. Yeah. But if I rest at this bonfire, which I'm probably going to need to because I just went all the way down through the Great Hollow, mm-hmm. I'm stuck here because I'll respawn here if I die here now, and I'm going to have to manually climb back up through the Great Hollow. And I just love whenever the game faces you with those choices, like to commit to the path you're on or to kind of play it safe. It's really good. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like the trek back up the Great Hollow is it's probably doable if you managed your way down, uh, but it's gonna suck for it's sure. It's gonna suck. <laughs> it's gonna suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I the the I guess the the 
like I said at the beginning of this conversation, the thing that the reason that everybody took something from Dark Souls into yeah. the games that they started making after Dark Souls is because it rejected like thirty years of progression of how a game interacts with its player, you mm -hmm. know, as a populist medium that's designed to get you from the beginning to the end and make you say, I had a good time and I enjoyed this part and this part. Yeah. Like all of the conventions that have that have built one after the other uh, to get you to do that, which have now gotten to the point where, like, play this hour-long tutorial dungeon where a message pops up every five seconds and teaches you all of its mechanics, mm -hmm. in jettisoning that stuff and in saying, like, no, you come here. You lean in and, like, and see what you can get out of my game. That is what everybody took. Like yeah. the the death can be fun, you know. Like like, mm. not everything needs to be on the silver platter. And like, people can ask their friends what they should do at this point, you know. Yeah. Like, the flaws of that game, I think, sometimes are woven in with that design philosophy. I will say the other thing I hate about the game, since we're since we're on this, uh, mm -hmm. the PvP is a little bit obnoxious. I would also say that the inventory and and crafting and just the general stats and systems of that game I find to be very unenjoyable to interact with. Uh, they streamline it in the later ones. And I never really inter I never really messed around with it too much. I just upgraded my Which stuff, I think like, is a which yes, now. which I think is a failing of that game because I would have loved to experiment with like what is my what would a magic sword do? What would a fire sword do? Yeah. But well, they the make problem it is so... the problem. The problem is, and this is a completely different failing. The answer to those is like not much. Usually, it's a compromise. Like you have like a, it's more for role playing than anything. It feels like like you want to be able to say like, yeah, I have a plus five magic chaos axe. When in reality, if you just had like a plus six axe, you would have like concentrated the upgrade in one place, so it mm -hmm. would actually be doing more damage. Which is, it's frustrating that the road to get to the, the weird side sword is, is kind of so unfun and grindy and obnoxious, and then the road, and what you get to is also, like, that's a shame, because it would have been, I loved playing that game, I would have loved to spend, you know, five hours of my playthrough fucking around with that stuff if that stuff was fun to navigate and i you, yeah. you gotta wonder if that was one of the areas of the game where they initially had planned it to be more developed but just weren't able to finish it because there's some item descriptions that talk about like occult weapons that were specifically designed to kill gods and like how cool you would can it make be occult you, weapons you can but... how cool would it be if you needed them to be able to like kill Nito and Gwyn, mm -hmm. and there is like really one neat. spot in the game where you benefit from technically two spots in the game where you benefit from having a specific kind of elemental buff on a weapon. Um, yeah, yeah. But but even then, like just like the fact that, well, you know, to be to be more specific, the fact that like it's not one upgrade currency you need. You need to go find the thing that upgrades fire weapons. You need to go find the thing that upgrades, you know, uh, uh, magic weapons. And then when mm -hmm. you do, it's like a little bit unclear, like, okay, wait, so I got to go find this one, this one, uh, uh, blacksmith who can do this and give him this yeah, key I, item. To this and... day, I don't even know which blacksmiths are supposed to get which embers. <laughs> I feel like there are some in the game that always tell me they can't use it. Yeah, and it's just like I, it would have been cool if that if that system was fun to interact with and encouraged yeah. me to yeah. experiment I can't, with I can't it argue. because 
because the game encourages me to experiment in so much of its design, you know, yeah. like so much of the time I spent in that game was just me figuring out, like, I wonder what I'm supposed to do here and like trying things and failing and then succeeding and being rewarded. And I just like, I wish that somehow interacting with the systems of that game had been similar, but you know, also part of it is that like one thing that it doesn't really reject is like 35 years of Japanese RPG systems. Cause mm -hmm. it's that stats page is Japanese as fuck. You're just looking yeah. at those numbers. Some of them are blue and some of them are red. And you're like, is this fucking a better sword <laughs> than the one I have? Or, and ultimately there the are answer letters is always, and numbers. Yeah, and ultimately the answer is always just equip it and swing it a few times and see if you like it. Yeah, <laughs> unless there's the thing, unless there's like a weapon that is clearly not doing anything, most weapons are like a viable way to get through the mm -hmm. game. That's a plus. Um, I w I definitely will say I kind of agree with the the fact that the systems. I I know when I first put the game in and then I like looked at them and I was like, fuck, what am I, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even know how to fuck around with any of this. Are you kidding me? But now that I've played it, I feel like I have somewhat of a handle, at least on, like, what I should do in terms of, like, how to upgrade my person and stuff. But I kind of agree. Yeah, that, but even that, that stuff initially is not fun to figure yeah, out. Where you're yeah, just like, exactly. okay, I have an upgrade point. What does fucking attunement do? You know, like... <laughs> And the game is like, I don't know. Why don't you find out? And I'm like, but I fucking don't want to find out. I want you to tell me what attunement does. Mm -hmm. I, I will say one thing that I really do like about this game, and it's not necessarily like, it, it's more just what the game kind of does for me. It's just like when, when that moment when you figure out how to fuck up a boss and you kill him. I like I was telling Trevor this the other night when I when I beat uh, mm -hmm. Havel I was just like fuck yes like I I got this like dopamine kick like in my brain and it's just like that moment where you know you you fucking do it after dying countless of times I don't know it's just more I don't think a game like uh, aside from from like Hollow Knight and Celeste uh, two games that I really liked that I played last year did that for me as well because you die a lot in those fucking games too. Uh, but yeah. it's like when you when you pull it off, it's like man, does that feel so good? And ha having that experience in Dark Souls, I think, is what kind of now has been driving to keep me me going uh, in terms of uh, I I don't know. I just I find that aspect of the game to be just. I'm so fantastic. I'm so glad you brought up Havel again because Havel I love I love that that my personal experience with that fight, which was mm -hmm. uh, Trevor was like, you should go down and get this ring from this guy. Oh, so I, I like, remember okay. this. Yeah. And it was like just, the first thing I told you to do, wasn't it? Yeah, I basically because I wasn't thinking from, about the Drake sword. Straight from the 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 first bonfire in the undead burg. Uh, oh yeah, shit! To go to the tower, use your magic key, go kill Havel, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, he won. He one shot me, so that didn't work. And and mm. you were like, okay, well, just figure out the timing, get around him, and backstab him, right? And so I go back to the tower, and he, I get like, I, I. Initially, I wasn't getting any backstabs because I wasn't doing it right, and like, yeah, and I would just not die for a little bit longer. And I was like, okay, this is technically pro progress. And I went back, and finally, like, I got to the point where I was good enough at circle strafing and at dodging his shit that I would do it, but it was only doing like fifty damage per backstab, and like, if that, I am, if I imagine with a, like, you had upgraded that sword once probably because you were lucky enough to find a Titanite shard early yeah, on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I, it like must 30. have been doing like 
like if yeah if that maybe like 20 damage with a normal sword against his armor even with and a backstab fi- and finally trevor was like hang on let me play the i'll start a new game and catch up to where you are and i was like <laughs> okay and so he did and then he's like oh shit sorry go get a better sword first and try this game. Yeah. <laughs> I was like okay because I, I always wait until i get the drake sword to do it yeah right so then i like so then i go up time. i i kill i kill taurus demon uh let's not mention that that drake who fucked me up but i did need to get his tail so i got him and then i'm like you know what i'm gonna do i'm going back to the bottom of this tower i'm gonna fuck that guy up right yeah. And so I went back down. I killed him super easy because by then I was great at fighting him. And it felt mm-hmm. like this great moment where, like, look it, I'm getting better at Dark Souls. And then, Bran, much later in the game, behind another hidden wall, yeah. you find his armor. And you get to read about his life and, like, what he did and shit. Uh, and I was just like, And it explains oh why he's locked in that tower, too, which is pretty cool. Which did is you so pick cool. Up on and that it, villain? Yes, it did. It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so you learn all this shit about, and it made me like reflect so fondly on that fight and the and the challenge it was and overcoming it. And it's like yeah. hours later, it's way later in the game when you find all of his armor. Just like so cool, so cool the way that the game made me like think back on that moment again. God, Loved that, it. That's so good. I love I love shit like that in games where it just does callbacks like that. That's so fucking cool. Very cool. Yeah, there's something and something like there's something unique about the way that Dark Souls rewards trial and error that mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about. Because one thing that appeals so much to me about the way like it rewards that is that it's the opposite of a power fantasy. Like yeah. you look at other video games which let you control like super powerful or skilled characters like Batman or Spider-Man or Kratos, the God of War or whatever. And there's definitely something very fun about using those characters specific skills and powers to like overcome obstacles mm-hmm. uh, and doing amazing moves and stuff. But what's different about Dark Souls is that like the enjoyment comes from like working on your own skills and bettering your own reflex and like sense of timing and patience. And that's mm-hmm. how you overcome these challenges. Yeah, it's so, like a like, Metroidvania where all of the power ups are happening in your living room. Like, yeah, you like get through this a, part of the game sword. and. Now you're good at the role. You get to this part of the game, and now you're good at creating distance. You get to this part of the game, and it's like, you're not being handed items that do that. You're just overcoming challenges that are making mm-hmm. you good at that. And it's not trial and error each time, too, because the game takes those lessons that you learned early on and applies them to scenarios later in the game, too. So if you retain all these skills, you can really make it through some of the even harder encounters like without too much of a problem. Yeah, it does feel very much like going back to the early areas of Metroid of Samus, and now you can just fuck shit up, you know? Mm-hmm. Even though even though in-game you have all the same mechanics as before. It's yeah, a lot cool. of people will tell you that, like, a lot of the early, a lot of the later areas are much easier than the, like, earlier ones. But I think that's mainly because they've just gotten good at the game by that point. I agree. Like, yeah. if you if you figure out how parrying works, and you get really good at parrying, the final boss, you can take him down in like 30 seconds without him even touching you. It's pretty wild. That is wild. That's, that's I crazy. still haven't, I've only like played through the final boss a couple times and I still haven't really had a proper fight with him because mm-hmm. every time I've just parried. I, you know what? If you do it the other way, he's still pretty manageable if you just carry yeah. all your, all your shit into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he's supposed to be like an intentional anticlimax. They bring that. They really push that to the extreme in the second game where you find the final boss and spoilers, he's just kind of despondent and walking around and lets you kill him. 
Um, I, what I want to talk about is the uh, kind of the future of the series and kind of what Miyazaki has said. I, I'm going to read a quote to you guys and sure. kind of get your uh, take on it. So he said, uh, as far as the future of the series goes, he's quoted as saying, uh, I don't think it'd be r- the right choice to continue indefinitely creating Souls and Bloodborne games. I'm considering Dark Souls 3 to be the big closure on the series. That's not just limited to me, but from software and myself together, I want to aggressively make new things in the future. I believe that From Software has to create new things. There will be new types of games coming from us, and Dark Souls 3 is an important marker in the evolution of From Software. So uh, it kind of sounds to like... Read Dark- between, to read between the lines of that in a very Dark Souls way, mm-hmm. you, could, you could almost take that as him saying, in a perfect world where only my dreams mattered, I wouldn't have even made Dark Souls 3. Like... Yeah. In a perfect world, I would get to just go do something different every time. But yeah. I'm doing this because I understand that you that this thing I made means a lot to you, and I'm trying to end it in a way that I'm satisfied with. That hopefully mm-hmm. you'll also feel satisfied with. Mm-hmm. I would say though that like I don't know that that door is fucking ironed shut. I don't know that there's not a world in which we eventually have a dark, something called Dark Souls Four or like yeah. I can see Souls it happening. Reboot. I don't know anybody who wants it. I like, all throughout the Souls fandom, it's pretty. People are pretty much like, if not necessarily satisfied, I think they realize that there should be a cap on it now because mm-hmm. Dark Souls Two went one sequel route, tried to do something very different. A lot of people didn't like it. Dark Souls Three did the different sequel route, tried to tie things up like a as close as Dark Souls can come to a neat little bow, uh-huh. and people really weren't here for that. So it seems like there's like. What they what people want, even if they don't really know how to express it, is they want a, a new game. Mm-hmm. And Bloodborne, I think we're getting in Bloodborne in March, was right? yeah, Bloodborne was pretty was kind of a new game, and people loved Bloodborne. I love Bloodborne too. It might be my favorite Souls game. I'm not totally sure. I can never pick. Mm-hmm. But if they were to do something original like, like Bloodborne, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. And I and Which, I think theoretically be, we're getting theoretically we're getting yeah. that in March. What what's that called again? Sekiro, the heroes die. Born I don't know I don't too much know, about twice. it. It looks very different from the Souls games. It looks okay. like you have. It looks like you have a refillable healing that you do at a checkpoint thing, uh-huh. and you go back to those checkpoints when you die. Uh, right. Yeah. But it also looks like you're a fucking ninja, and you grapple from tree to tree, and you the fights are really fast and aggressive, and like. So I think it's going to still register as a Miyazaki game in a big way. Yeah, but yeah. I'll definitely gonna, I'll definitely play it. I I'm mechanically sure mechanically it looks like it's it's definitely a a further step outside of this whole thing than Bloodborne was for sure. Yeah. I got to yeah. say though I think people are done with the Souls franchise, but like I think there would be a lot of support for a Bloodborne too. I think people would really like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people wouldn't mind a sequel to that game and I I think they could really do a good job with it if they approached it from the right way. I'd be, I'd be very curious to play a a game that plays like a Souls game in a vastly different genre mm-hmm. and 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 you know like I'd love to play a game that plays like this in a totally non-gothic setting, you know, like yeah. in yeah. a real world world naturalistic setting or like in a bright sci-fi setting. Like I I'm just curious if it wasn't so like oppressively undead or moody like what would that i really feel like? my my dream bloodborne sequel is set in like an area parallel kind of like to like colonial america i think that would be a really good setting for that game 
Because the first one is like the first one's like Victorian England, which I think kind of sets that up. Yeah. Uh, so so Brandon, you got you got. What do you think? You think what is he done? Is it over? Um, I I think he may be done. I wouldn't be surprised if From Software or even Bandai Namco was like, um, no, these games make a lot of money now because people seem to enjoy them. I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of came back and maybe even brought somebody else on to kind of yeah, continue it on. I could see I could see Dark Souls 4 coming out mm-hmm. from a company besides from software. Yeah. I, I, I think it'd be fun. It Wouldn't it be fun and interesting and satisfying, though, if, like, Dark Souls 4 comes out and it's, like, set in the fucking southern tip of that continent and you're like, look, everybody here is alive and this is what the world's like down here and it's, like, totally different? <laughs> it's, it's, like a, it's like a Stardew Valley game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to marry in Dark Souls 4? <laughs> um... So yeah, let's let's kind of talk about you know regardless of whether the series con- uh, series continues or not you know it, it, it there's no denying the fact that there's been a huge legacy kind of you know left behind with this series and just all the, like you know like it coined the term souls like and you know people would constantly like do the meme of it's the dark souls of whatever you know what I mean um, oh my god yeah there was a Eurogamer review of the Spyro trilogy where the journalist had a hard time on a boss that I thought was very trivial where they were just like it felt like suddenly I was dropped into the middle of a dark souls game <laughs> where you're just like this shorthand has gotten out of yeah. control it is it's to the point where it's like as as funny as it has been sometimes in the past, it's it's gotten to the point where it is a little tired. But I, I uh, especially when it comes to games journalists, and it, it'll just you know they'll just like I said, it's the Dark Souls of whatever. But but I mean some of the game I have a, a quick list of just some games it has inspired and been influenced by by Dark Souls. Uh, so I don't know if you guys have played any any of these, but there's Salt and Sanctuary, and then uh, Lords of the Fallen, and then there's that Neo game, which is. Uh, from what I understand, is like kind of the closest to what a, uh, a Dark Souls game would would potentially be like, um, and then Hollow Knight, which uh, again a game I I highly recommend people play. Uh, it is, I mean, it's essentially it's a Metroidvania at its core, but it definitely takes a lot of a lot of stuff from from Dark Souls, especially like with the difficulty spike in the game it uh it sort of teaches you as well as uh about how to be patient how to figure out the patterns of the bosses and, it and also things, it yeah. also it also tells its story in a similar way yes. it tells its story through a lot of item descriptions and from like mm-hmm. you know studying your environments for context clues as well so it definitely does yep. that uh hollow knight i think is great and it's illustrative of like i i'm much more interested at this point in playing a 2D Souls-like than a 3D mm-hmm. one, I think, because, like, I'm just not that interested in seeing, like, how somebody else is balancing the, say, attack animations yeah. in their third, in their... Because I feel like this is a satisfying enough version of that, Dark Souls, that, like, I don't know, like, how interested I am in playing one of those super faithful third-person mm-hmm. uh, Souls-like games. But... Uh, I had a great time with Hollow Knight and its world, and I'm having a really good time right now with Dead Cells, which I've just been, like, totally addicted to. I can't stop playing Dead Cells. And, like, both of those games do things that are very different, but the things that they yeah. carry forward are also very different. Um, 
like both both Hollow Knight and Dead Cells have the role, which I think is like I feel like that that's almost like a given. Like if you're gonna be a Souls like you need some version of a move you do that mm-hmm. makes you teleport through attacks, uh, more or less, right? Like Yeah. That's such a big part of the of the experience of it. But the the balance of of what you do from there is kind of up to the the game developer and that's why the, the last time this happened I think was Doom um for a while first person shooters in the industry referred were referred to as Doom clones mm-hmm. um until enough people innovated on that genre that it became its own thing and I think the fact that like you just need to carry there's this in Texas they say this there's this rule where you can only wear unless you're actually a cowboy like unless you actually work on a cowboy farm right yeah uh you can only wear one western themed item per outfit until you're playing dress up uh so like you can wear cowboy boots but you got to wear a regular shirt and pants or you can wear a hat but you can't wear your boots too or you can wear a bolo, but you can't wear the hat or the boots, right? Mm-hmm. There's a thing about, like, in order to be a Souls-like, I feel like you need two of those essential Dark Souls things, right? Yeah. You either need some version of a bonfire, some version of a roll, attack animations that lock you into doing things, and enemies can punish you if you do them incorrectly. Like, the fact that the that the definition of a souls like is kind of so loose and and allows for a lot of innovation like mm-hmm. for example dead cells innovation is that like the bonfire is the beginning of the game like every time you die you start over from the beginning you just have persistent upgrades that make you and shortcuts that make you get through the game differently as you progress through it or yeah. hollow knight for example the the i i think your your attack is always a like essentially one frame thing, right? Yep, like you, yep. you hit attack and you're immediately attacking. Uh, and I think healing also is something you can recharge out in the world. Is that true? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. You so you, you basically you would uh, attack an enemy and then it would fill up like this like meter and then you were able to to heal that way. It also takes the kind of like when you die, you're like you lose all your 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 money in that game, and you have and one you can, shot to go back and get it. Yep, yep. It keeps that, it keeps the bonfires, and it keeps the kind of obscure storytelling, right? So yes. it's a Souls-like. But the fact it, that you only have to check a few boxes to be one really, to me, says eventually we're going to have a better name for this than Souls-like. Mm-hmm. I feel like eventually we're all going to agree on, you know, whatever whatever it's going to be, you know, persistent difficulty or whatever, that, that it feels like this is not going to just be a fad. Like, I feel like... Yeah. In 15 years from now, we'll be calling it something different, but there will be a whole breed of Souls-like games that are a big part of what video gaming is. That's yeah. my personal opinion. Damn, dude, you just talked for like seven minutes straight about video games. <laughs> no problem, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we like on this show. <laughs> no, Who I is like. this podcast for? Um... <laughs> uh, who is know. this for? Us, gamers. Gamers. Yeah, sure. Gamers. gamers. Do you consider yourself a gamer, Dylan? Uh, I feel like I go through periods where I'm fully a gamer and then periods where I can't touch the stuff. The thing I, I haven't brought up on this program so far is that I like never play video games except for Dark Souls. 
Like I played like a couple hours of that Spider-Man one that came out. Um, like that's it recently. Here, you think I could a, make a? Could I make a mod for the PC version of Dark Souls so that when <laughs> so that when you fight Nito, it just plays na 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 na. na. <laughs> I, I will say the port for for Katamari for for Switch is actually pretty good. It's it's. I have that. Right. It's yeah. good. It is. It's. Fun, I don't have it the, yet. I've been meaning to get it. I, I had never played Katamari before, and the time limit stressed me out. Mm-hmm. I really, I really like the out. second one. We love Katamari, and I don't remember the first one super well, but I, I still, I'm still interested. I will Brennan, say, have you played? Um, have you played? What's that game that's like the opposite of Katamari? It's so good. Um, Donut Donut, Donut County. County. No, I want to though. I know. It, I know. It's, I know it's so out. Good. I think it's out. For go Switch get it. Go now, get it for so Switch. It the is. Switch version is really good. Go get it for Switch. Okay. It's like ten bucks too. All right. That was yeah. like my game of the year, 2018. Donut County is great. All right. I'll definitely have to. Uh, have to check that. Uh, check out Donut County. Um, shit. I, I think that's just about the end of the show. I mean, so uh, before, you know, thanks again to both Trevor and Dylan for coming on the show. I mean, you guys do so much stuff. So why don't you just take a moment to kind of plug uh, all the stuff that you guys do? Well, first off, thank you for having us on, Brandon. It was a blast. Um, I, Dylan and I do a bunch of podcasts together. Our big one is Hallelujah Monkeys, the Gorillas fan cast, the number one Gorillas fan cast in the world. Um, you could check also that check out. Also, check out State of Swift while you're at it, though. Yeah, check out State of Swift, which is a great podcast we do about Taylor Swift. That's a great project. With I do their, another with their podcast. mutual friend, Gwen. Yeah, I do a podcast with my friend, Maxton Stentrum, about one hit wonders called One Hit Wonders of the World. You can follow me on Twitter at a Trevor Ikrath with all the vowels taken out. So T R V R K R T H. I tweet a lot about Dark Souls. And I recently found out that uh, I'm being asked to host and do a 20 minute set in a comedy show where I used to do stand up comedy at least five times every week. Now I do it once every eight to 10 months. And so. <laughs> I, I found out, like, yeah, you got to do this thing. We'll, we'll pay you. You got to do 20 minutes. I was like, sure, like an idiot. And then I dug through my drawer, and I found my fucking, like, legal pad of set list. And I swear to God, I, I flipped through five pages, and I looked at, like, line after line of one-sentence descriptions of my jokes in these set lists, and I'm like, I don't know what any of these jokes are. <laughs> like, there was one that was, like, related to the queen, and I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? I don't have a joke about that, do I? But then I, I, I've forgotten all of my material. So in theory, I'm going to write 20 minutes of material for the next <laughs> month. <laughs> have fun with so that. So definitely check, check me out at that. That'll be at Lucky's in Eugene, Oregon. Hell yeah. Do you want to say where people could follow you on Twitter or anything? Uh, yeah, sure. Follow me at Dylan Flynn. <laughs> I tweet once every week, maybe. Um, yeah, I I, um, I fully endorse uh, State of Swift because I'm not even a huge Taylor Swift fan, and it's always like just a real treat to, to listen to them talk about it. It's a fun it, show. Yeah, it's a super fun show. Uh, we hear that a lot. We hear a lot of people say, like, I don't give a shit about Taylor Swift, but that's a great show. Um, also, donate to their Patreon. They have oh, yeah, really good. They yeah, have really good episodes on their Patreon. Yeah, we. I gotta. I gotta finish cutting dinners. one right now. We just. We actually just finished the last one of the season, which I think is a favorite album of yours, Bran. Yeah, it's. I really do like uh, uh, the David Bowie's uh, Black Star. I'm actually super, super excited for that episode. I think once. Cool. Uh, 
once the missions open up again, I'm I'm kind of torn on what album I want to submit, but I'm I'm gonna really try to get in there and get something going for that. Yeah, if you want to hear us talk endlessly like we just did about Dark Souls over <laughs> an album that you like, definitely go to Patreon.com/slash Monkeys and look into that. Hell yeah, and uh, I'm at Mutant Standard on Twitter. Uh, we also have a Twitter for the show. I'm pretty sure it's uh, at New Nintendo Cast. XL or a new Nintendo cast XL or something like that. I'm, wait, wait, before you, before you wrap it up, I know okay. we've been here for a million years, but no, as, no, a no, fan so of, cool. as a fan of the podcast, I wanted to ask you a question about the podcast. Oh, go for is, it. What, what game or a series of games that people are super into is like the most outside of your scope of interest? Like what episode would a guest pitch you where you'd be like, I don't even know how the fuck that's going to work, but, um, I'm I'm gonna say any kind of like first person shooter, any generally. kind, even like the real story driven ones, like the Bioshocks and things. Um, I think those I'd be a little bit more interested in, but like I'll I'll be honest, a lot of especially with a even like third person, like I don't know, like something like Gears of War, I wouldn't even know what the fuck to talk about. Uh, so like yeah, even like Gears of War, Bio Bioshock, and just stuff like that. There's I, also I a lot of classic Nintendo games like Star Fox that Brandon isn't really familiar with because he wasn't really like a Nintendo <laughs> kid growing up. You know, some people are into Sega and some people are into PlayStation. He just never really got around to the Nintendo stuff. Well, I think what we should do then is that you and me and Trevor should start a podcast where we try to get into Call of Duty's online scene. Oh, God. God. Yeah. Just have a bunch of... Uh... I don't know, 12 year olds yell at you and yell slurs. Well, no, what we really need to do is start a Fortnite podcast. <laughs> well, let, me, let, me, let me ask you guys, because I've actually I've, I've played Fortnite. I've tried uh, it. Sure, I have to. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah. Have you tried it out? Like, what's. I tried. I, I, I downloaded it for my PlayStation because it was free. I played mm-hmm. it for, like, I've played a few sessions, realized it, like, wasn't my kind of game, and I haven't really gotten back to it. One of my I will say the, the a best couple experience. of my coworkers are yeah. big into it. And they like just, that's what they do. They Mm -hmm. play Fortnite. The best experience I had with Fortnite, I, similar to you, played it for like about an hour. And then Shelly, my wife, wandered into the room. She was like, oh, is that Fortnite? I've heard about Fortnite. And I was like, yeah, why don't you play? She never plays anything, right? Mm -hmm. And then she was just like, oh, you can just hide, right? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And she just spent the whole fucking game building walls around herself and hiding and then moving closer to the center of the map as it all died. And she came in third. (laughs) It was a great experience. I was like, man, so many people in this map were probably way better at this game than you, but look, you did better than them. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. That's that's Fortnite awesome. just kind of makes me uncomfortable though, because like this is a very black mirror thing. Uh, because I think it's in one of the early episodes of that show. But I feel like as as we as a society move closer towards like the destruction of the middle class, like, you know, eventually it's just gonna be like the hyper rich billionaires and, and like the and the slaves. and the chosen undead. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Fortnite is going to be like the one video game that the slaves have the option to play, like on like their time off. Like I don't know if it's gonna be Fortnite, but it's gonna be something Fortnite esque, and Fortnite feels like it's pushing us there. Like It'll serve a sort of Hunger Game yeah, parallel. Exactly. Class. It's gonna be like it's going to be like the opium of the masses, you know? Fortnite is the opium of the masses. I believe Marx said that. <laughs> and somehow, like, this is this is 150 years from now, and also, like, somehow The Simpsons is also still on, and it's all we're allowed to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. It'd be the this dark, makes me uncomfortable. It'd, it'd be the but dark hey. souls of the future, so... I mean. <laughs> 
But if that's your thing, enjoy, yeah. enjoy your enjoy sure. Your yeah, night I'm not. I'm like I'm not gonna knock people for being for flossing. I guess if that's what they want to do. But uh, us real gamers will be over here enjoying the one of a kind experience that can only be delivered by the Souls franchise and its excellent style of gameplay. Yeah, I will say if you're listening to this podcast right now and you came in thinking, I don't know if I'm a good enough gamer to beat Dark Souls. If you made it to the end of this three-hour Dark Souls gab fest, this you have the patience for it. Yeah, there's no boss in Dark Souls that was harder than listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I encourage everybody to play. It does have a bit of an on-ramp, and it can be a little challenging as you adjust to it. But I think like Mm -hmm. everybody that I've ever convinced to play a Dark Souls game after the initial adjustment period, has really taken to it and really enjoyed it. I would yeah. strongly recommend it finding, a Trevor, find a Trevor Ickrath in your life who can be your Dark Souls Sherpa. And, you'll and have if you don't time, have any of those, like it's really rewarding just to get into the community. Mm-hmm. It's not like a bunch of people just yelling like, get good. Like that's a, that's a negative stereotype. You know, a lot of people will, are there to help you. They will even like go so far as to like, uh, like, Help Jump you into your summon game them and, into your yeah, game exactly. so they can help you fight bosses. It's a mm-hmm. really, really encouraging community. Probably one of the best, like, in the gaming section of the internet. That's that's that actually makes me feel re- really even better about like, because uh, I think I think after this whole episode, like, I, more than ever, I feel like I'm ready to really just do a deep dive back into the game and just uh, yeah keep us posted yeah. i'd love to hear how your progress goes oh man. yeah no i'll yeah, definitely text I'll me definitely, whenever man yeah for sure uh, again, i feel like seriously. people people who have beat dark souls are more invested in other people beating dark souls than miyazaki was. <laughs> i'm going i was more invested in you getting through dark souls than you probably are in your daughter growing up <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Brand, yeah, thank I mean, you so much for having us, us on yeah. the show. We it's, love the it's show. So great we to love being down on the it. new Nintendo podcast. Excellent time talking with you, bros. We'd love to do it any any time you want. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we'll have you yeah. on again soon. But for now, we'll just say, I guess uh, I've been Trevor Ickrath, and I've been uh, <clears throat> New Dylan Deluxe UXL. <laughs> And I've been Brandon Smith. Thanks again for listening. Praise the sun.
so I bought a house recently. I was out doing a bunch of errands related to that. And I classic classic podcaster activity, by the way, buying a house. Yeah, of course. So I so I stopped at the Dylan a drive. Is kind of has kind of like become the like the almost like a caricature of a podcaster. Like I had a me. child, I bought since, a house. Yeah, since I started like collaborating with him, he had a child, he bought a house, like and now Next I need you some know, kind you're of get work done on that house. Exactly. I need some kind of like a long-term landscaping yeah. project that I keep updating you about. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I went through the drive-through at the subway. Always a risky choice. And I I've never, I've never been through a subway drive-through. I, so I have. I, it's. I it's had my experience. sandwich compiled. My my shitty vegan sandwich compiled, and I got my food. And the guy, key to the story, the guy who handed it to me looked identical to the fucking smirking MAGA kid. He looked like he was like 17. He had a little shit-eating smirk. Here's your food, sir. And I fucking, I bit <laughs> my sandwich and suddenly my fucking mouth is on fire. My mouth is on fire. Like, pain, gagging, hurting. And I fucking look at my sandwich. I've just bitten into a full, like, seed-filled, plump habanero pepper. Oh, shit. He just fucking left in there like a landmine in my sandwich, like a fucking little dick. He took one look at me in the drive-thru game, he's like, oh, fuck with this guy. And he fucking, and I'm still, like, my stomach still hurts. It was a bummer, you guys. Wait, did you order peppers on your sandwich, or did he just sneak one in? No, no. And they don't have habaneros at Subway, which means he fucking brought that shit from home. Love it. The moxie. Holy shit. Damn, that was his last day on the job. Yeah. And he's been handing out those to everybody. I didn't call, because I'm not a narc, but, like, what the fuck, man? Anyway, that was my story. Dude, no, that's, that's great. I actually, like, um... I, in a way that kind of feels a little a little Dark Souls to me because it was the uh, Dark Souls of Subway. Very good. 